That's Regional Wrestling, R-A-S-S-L-I-N. We also want that's to right. do what? I said, that's wrestling. <laughs> yeah. goes I couldn't on. help. You had to get I my get goes on. Gotta get your goes on. <laughs> <laughs> everybody and welcome back to the other ship podcast we're happy to have you here whenever and wherever you're listening we're kicking off our black friday survivor series spectacular big mega episode which we're all excited for and first things first we're going to discuss the event coming at you tomorrow night on peacock which is the 2023 edition of the survivor series i'm your host chris spiker and along with us tonight is abdullah the butcher what is happening everybody happy thanksgiving we have big bill merriweather i put the lotion in the basket on the first date <laughs> Did you get the hose or not? I'll get the hose again and again. Fair enough. And our special guest for the preview show, his football team may only have one loss, but he's undefeated in our hearts. Your friend and ours, Jamie Ward, is back with us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Let's get this done so I can get the Cracker Barrel and have Thanksgiving dinner. I heard Mac talking about it, or Chris talking about Mac and Cracker Barrel, and we used to do that all the time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. We are super hyped. So by the time this drops, it'll have been delicious. It'll probably be leftovers. So, and last but certainly not least, our producer extraordinaire, Michael T. Yes, Herrick. Gobble, gobble, everybody. So if you're listening to this on Friday, Hans Gruber has dropped it to Spiker Household. So it's officially Christmas time. But we have one more piece of November business to handle, and that is the Survivor Series, the Thanksgiving Spectacular. So I said we have a mega episode, but we're going to talk about the edition coming on Peacock tomorrow night, the 37th annual Survivor Series event with two War Games matches. And we're going to get to both of those. So only five matches on the card announced as of this recording, but they might add one or two more. Let's kick off with Santos Escobar versus Carlito. Freshly wonderful heel Santos Escobar, I must add. that His heel promo on Friday night was fantastic. Yes, it was. It was tremendous. And I got to say, I am so excited for him getting a big heel run on the main roster. I've been a fan of his since the day he debuted in NXT. So this is perfect for me. We've sang his praises many a times on this show, and I'm so happy that Heel Santos, especially after watching some of the old NXTs where him and Legado de Fantasma were heels, I'm like, man, I'm so excited for this. And him and Carlito should put on a hell of a match because Carlito can still go in 2023. I think it'll be a hot affair, and Carlito loses nothing if Santos goes over. So I think that's the easy way to go to establish Santos as a new top level heel. I'm kind of curious as to, I know Santos told the other two off, but I'm kind of curious where that goes as well. But I definitely got to go with Santos just because I see really big things in the future for him. Drew, what you think? I too am going to be choosing Santos Escobar here because number one, it'd be really dumb to turn the guy heel and then have him lose like right away. (laughs) But I think him winning and in this turn ultimately is going to affect one of the match choices I have later, one of the matches later on that we're going to talk about. But I think this uh, this outcome will directly affect that. So, yeah, I think Santos is going to be winning here. And just like you guys said, he's uh, there's big things coming. Bill, what do you think, bud? I agree that Santos is indeed 
turning into a fantastic heel. Of course, the sentimental fool in me would like to pick Carlito because, but let's face it, he's back probably to help put people over. He's jacked. He's looking great. But Santos is, I think he's going to be a pretty decent heel. I mean, he's already got that punchable smug face. God, he's a smug face. And it's like he knows he's working it because I never really caught how smug and punchable his face was until he is a heel. And he knows how to just do that little smirk. So he's definitely, I hate to say the next big thing cliche, but I think he's going to be a pretty decent sized bad guy. So I'm going to choose him. Jamie? I'm going to go with you guys. I think it's Santos in this match. Um, based on his heel run in NXT, there's no limit for him. I mean, very easily he can challenge for the U.S. title when they decide to take it off the Golden Boy there. See, I definitely think that if they push LA Knight towards U.S. title, that's going to be the big feud after that. It's Knight Escobar after Escobar goes over Ray at Mania. Because with Ray being hurt, which I know wasn't part of their plan, that'll push his return back to Rumble or Mania season. So we'll get Ray and Escobar at Mania. And Escobar can go over there and cement him as the next big Latino star type deal. Mike, I think I know where you're going just because you and I seem to be in line on this. Oh, I'm taking Carlito. No, no, of course not. Santos all the way. Although I got to say, I feel like when they had him turn heel, they should have had Joaquin Wilde and Cruz del Toro go with him. And then you could bring Dragon Lee in as the third to go with Carlito and Ray leading to some trios matches down the road as you work this feud. But they were such a fantastic unit as Legato del Fantasma in NXT. I hate that they're not still together in that way. And I think if nothing else, because they haven't done anything with Wild and Del Toro as a tag team, I mean, they're basically jobbers, for lack of a better term. They don't get wins in tag matches really ever. They get thrown into like triple threats or fatal four ways and they lose. Let them be like the cannon fodder he puts in front of guys coming after him when he gets like the U.S. title or something. Having them there as that backup protection cannon fodder kind of thing would make a lot of sense with him as a heel now maybe maybe they'll turn on carlito on saturday and align themselves with with santos escobar and i thought for a minute during that promo on smackdown last week that carlito was going to come out it was going to look like the three of them were going to gang up on escobar and then wild and del toro were going to turn on carlito and he was going to get beat down that's not what they did i'm hopeful maybe they'll go that direction saturday but strap a rocket to santos escobar shoot him to the moon the guy is amazing i was kind of disappointed when they moved him up to the main roster because i had wanted him to get a run as nxt champ because i felt like he could carry that show because he's that good in the ring and as this promo here showed he's very good on the mic he's got every skill you need from a guy and since size isn't as big a determining factor for them now hopefully he's going to get a big run with like the u.s title at some point maybe he gets moved over in the draft next year and gets a main event push i don't know but to me there, there is no ceiling the sky's the limit for santos escobar talent wise and ability wise so i hope he really really gets a big push going forward here and i actually think you're on to something there mike i don't think it happens this saturday night where they rejoin Santos, but I can absolutely see it happening. I mean, it served the purpose having him beat up on his, you know, quote, two best friends because he really comes off as more of a dick because he doesn't want to be with them. However, behind the scenes, he'll talk them into, you know, joining him uh, just like, uh, Guther and his lackeys. Sure. Yeah. Escobar, like, all the way. Like, I was a huge fan. I think Mike and I have been 
talk about how great he is for a long time now. And I'm really hoping he gets shine on main roster. Let's move on and talk a little something different here. Let's talk about the women's war games match next, where we have damage control of Bailey, Asuka, Io, and Kyrie Sane, who I'm, I know I said it before. I'm so glad to have her back. She was always a favorite to watch. She was always entertaining. Again, pretty much a dream team of sorts with Shotzi, Charlotte, Bianca, and Becky Lynch. I think this could be really, really good. Because, I mean, all eight of them can go, no doubt about that. I mean, I'm going to go with, see, I'm going back and forth on this one, personally, because I can see it going both ways, because I don't see a team with Bianca, Charlotte, and Becky losing. But I also think might think that's what Shotzi's there for. That way, one of the three big established names won't have to lose. But also, damage control. Is this where we see the splinter happen that we all probably know is coming? I'm going to go with damage control just to establish the new stable, like them as like a powerhouse. And then maybe they punk out Bailey afterwards. Just because I don't see Bailey kind of fitting with new aesthetic. And then her and Dakota Kai can team up against the rest of them later on. That one's kind of a tough one, though, because those other three, the Charlotte, Becky, Bianca contingent's almost too tough to beat, so I'm very up in the air. I may change it by the time we come back around. Drew? I'm going to go with the team of Bianca, Charlotte, Shotzi, and Becky. On the impetus that I think that, like you just talked about a little bit, I think damage control drops Bailey after the match. This is just me riffing a little bit here, but I think they're going to jump her. They're going to be beating the crap out of Bailey, and then the music's going to hit, and the boss is going to come out and save her buddy Bailey. Sasha Banks coming back. Survivor Series. You heard it here first. Okay. I don't know if any of that's true or not, but what the hell? We're throwing stuff at the wall. <laughs> But I could also easily see infighting on the Bianca, Charlotte, Becky, Shotzi team and that being their undoing also. But I'm going to go with the aforementioned dream team of the top gals, Bianca, Charlotte, Becky, and Shotzi. Now, will all four of them come out on Shotzi's tank because it is War Games? Who knows? We'll see. Tank Girl, cool movie. Glory Petty. Actually, it is a really fun movie. Bill, what do you think about Tank Girl? And the match. Ice-T is a kangaroo person. It was classic. It was amazing. And started his acting career. As far as the match, I would say I'm going to have to go with the same guys you're talking about because it's like a feel-good match where all the faces win and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, they're teasing the stuff with Bailey. They're going to do something with her. You know, like you guys said, but I'm wondering instead of Sasha Banks, we're going to see Jade Cargo. I always want to say that every show, but I think it's kind of that's how it's got to go. Because it's just one of those matches where, you know, all the good guys get their stuff in. And then the bad guys implode a little bit, at least like you said, with the, their former leader. So, yeah, I'm, you got to go with that. That's pretty obvious. Jamie, what do you think, bud? I actually have two different views of this match, and I'm not sure which one is that I'm going to commit to yet. One is, you know, the Bailey thing is going to happen sooner or later. You just mentioned maybe Dakota ends up teaming up with Bailey when this is all said and done. I think Dakota stays with damage control. They need a voice. And she did kind of take the mic the other night on SmackDown and, you know, tell Bailey, well, you haven't officially indoctrinated Oscar yet. So my one theory is here, even though I don't like it because it's just way too quick. The faces win. Damage control stays in the cage. They lock the door. I think it's locked anyway because it's going to drop down. And they all start beating the hell out of Bailey until Charlotte and Becky come back in and make the rescue and save their former four-horsewoman partner. But then again, they've left you with a nice tease about when Charlotte says they're looking for a partner and she knows a lot about turning on people. So that kind of leaves a door open for her to turn on her partners and walk out to set up for damage control to win. But I'll go with the um, with them turning on Bailey. 
Well, Drew kind of pretty much said exactly everything I was going to say. I absolutely think we're going to see Sasha come back. Is that the rumor? She, well, there's been talk about it. I've seen it a couple of different times. I had seen it originally as maybe she was going to come back and be part of damage control, but I just kind of feel like they're kind of setting it up for Bailey to definitely get kicked out of the group at some point. And her kind of being in the Zabisco role here of costing the team the match is what I see happening. And then I think it makes a lot of sense if you're able to bring Sasha back. This is a great time to do it and a great way to do it, having Bailey get beat down four on one. You know, even Dakota getting picking up a kendo stick and hitting her or something, you know, and Sasha coming in to save the day, maybe with Becky and Charlotte, and maybe we set the stage. The thing I don't know is where Dakota is in her recovery, but I feel like we could set the stage to maybe finally get the four horsewomen together as a group taking on another group of four, and you would have that with damage control then. And whether that actually gets set up here and Sasha comes back, I don't know. That's what I'm hoping for. I've seen enough talk online that it's a possibility that I'm, I guess, counting my chickens before they hatch and hoping that it goes that way. But I really think no matter what, Bailey is going to be the reason damage control loses and then she gets turned on either in the match or next Friday on SmackDown. She gets kicked out like Sting got kicked out of the Horseman. Kind of, you know, and then maybe that leads into a Bailey versus EO title feud. If Sasha comes back, we go four on four. If Dakota's healthy, there's lots of ways you can go. I mean, Bailey could have to go through Kyrie and Oscar and maybe Dakota to get to EO. I don't know. Lots of, lots of possibilities, lots of options. And I think now with the way they have the group set up, they don't really need Bailey anymore. Like you said, Jamie, Dakota can be that kind of voice for them and be like the mouthpiece for the group. Even though Asuka she talked very well at NXT, yeah. Dakota did. Yeah, Oscar and EO can cut good promos. Kyrie didn't do a lot of it, but she's okay too. But Dakota could be kind of that. You could almost make it like where here Bailey thought all along she was the mastermind of the group, but Dakota was behind the scenes, kind of laying the groundwork for bringing in Kyrie and bringing in. Asuka and setting it up, her and EO working together, setting it up behind Bailey's back. And I think there's a fun dynamic you can work with that way, too. Yeah, I like the four horse woman idea. Yeah. You could branch off there. If you get Sasha back, you have Bailey and Sasha win the tag belts, which aren't worth anything really with Chelsea and Dewdrop as the champs. You put it on them. Now they're going to feud with Asuka and Kyrie for however long, maybe drop it. And then you get the super team of Charlotte and Becky. Sure. Yeah. To take it to the next step. Yeah. Because it, then you got Bianca and EO at WrestleMania. Yeah. That, which would be great. That's my pick. The faces go over here and Bailey gets kicked out because she's the one that submits or gets pinned or whatever happens. I don't know if she taps out to the figure eight or what, but she's going to cause a loss somehow. I think damage control will split. It's just a matter of when, but I don't, I don't know how judgment day is going to do later on the next. I know there's issues boiling over there too. And I don't think they'd, blow up two factions in one night, but I could be wrong. We will get to that. Speaking of the Judgment Day, nice little segue there I did not plan. Mommy is defending her women's title against Zoe Stark. I'm pretty sure us on this show back a couple months ago, around the time of SummerSlam when Becky and Trish were feuding and Zoe was kind of the second for Trish, said that Zoe should be in line for a women's title opportunity not too long after that. Gentlemen, we were right. Because here she is. I think Rhea continues her reign here, but I think Zoe's going to put one hell of a fight. And wrestling-wise, this could be match of the night, because I think the two of them will put on... I think Zoe 
has a lot of potential, but I just don't see Rhea losing, especially because Rhea is kind of the glue holding Judgment Day together right now. So at least she wins. That's perpetual for them to win. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I think that Rhea's definitely going to win here. She's kind of reached rare air right now, where like Becky Lynch was at the peak of the man. And dare I say, you know, underneath guys like Rock and Austin, of course, you know, but still like she's one of the main draws of the company as a whole. There's no denying it right now. And her work is really good. I look for her to win, but I think Zoe is going to show very well. Bill, what do you think? I'm going to root for Zoe Deschanel, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because she was an elf? Yeah. Um, you don't need a better reason than that. Because she doesn't sit on a throne of lies. I'm probably, I mean, it's got to be real, like you guys said. I I just, this, I guess this is one of those shows where, like, the outcomes are pretty, maybe they'll pull a bunch of swerves, and not the Strickland kind, am I right? But maybe they'll throw a whole bunch in there that... Oh, will throw us all for a loop, but it just seems kind of like, at this point, like you said, Rhea can't lose. She's got that momentum. She's basically the leader of the pack of the Judgment Day. So, yeah, she can't lose. It's just, it's got to be Rhea. All right. Jamie, what you think, bud? Yeah, this is another one, as you were saying. Zoe gives her a good match, establishes herself as upper level, but Rhea retains easily. Yeah, she's insanely on another level. I mean, I guess WrestleMania is probably going to build up to her and Charlotte one more time. Charlotte wins the Rumble, but that would be Rhea, but Rhea Charlotte 3. I would much rather see Bianca or Becky in that match, or even Asuka. Or how even Jade Cargill. She's not ready for that yet, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, star power-wise, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's got it. She's got an it fact. Incredible look incredible talent but the talent hasn't translated into the ring yet in my opinion and that's the only reason why i don't think so but they've been known to put star power before a lot of other things and you put her in their three and we'll be able to hide this is a new era now though yeah i don't know if they're going to ultimate warrior her or not i think they're going to take their time like they're showing or they're doing their thing but i think they're going to take their time and she's ready to not hurt anybody or herself but Rhea could do it you're right chris you know, I I think if you want to go for the star power of such, I don't know. I think it's either it's either going to be Rhea or Charlotte against Jade at WrestleMania, but that's just me. Which I think Charlotte, as much as I bag on her, Charlotte could hide any inconsistencies Jade would have as a performer. Yeah, I, I, I give credit where credit yeah. is due, much as I hate to sometimes. Mike, what do you think about the women's match, bud? Well, I think this match could easily steal the show and be the best match of the night. I don't think there's a lot of doubt in the outcome. I think Rhea wins, but this is going to be a good showcase for Zoe to prove that she is deserving of a push of some sort. I feel like the kind of teased team they've shown with her and Shayna could be a lot of fun going after the tag titles after this, because this would just kind of be proving what a threat Zoe is. And so then they get the tag titles and hold them for, I don't know, till SummerSlam next year, maybe let them have a big long run with them. I think that could be fun. I don't think Rhea drops the belt until at least Mania and even then, I don't know who she would be dropping it to. Maybe Raquel. Maybe Raquel at that point. Maybe you're ready for that. But I, Well, there's no need for Rhea to drop the belt. You could do what I, you're doing with Guther and Roman. Just give her a nice long reign. Right. It's not like she doesn't deserve it. No, 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 not at all. And I hadn't really thought about it until it was mentioned that the outcomes of these matches are all kind of foregone because I think for the most part they are. I'm not sure where the surprises come. I mean, I've got an idea when we get to the end, but 
I would be shocked if Zoe, now maybe Zoe wins by DQ, like maybe she's got Rhea on the ropes and Rhea does something to cheat to preserve her title win. That could be a way to do it if you want to really give a bigger rub to Zoe and continue this feud going forward till maybe the Rumble. But I don't think there's any way Rhea, short of an injury in the match and they changing things on the fly, I, there's not much chance that Zoe walks out with the title. It's going to be Rhea. I mean, there's no reason they can't give Zoe the Liv Morgan treatment here. Like they did it on that New Year's Day pay-per-view they did a couple years back when she went up against Becky. Yeah. And, does, and she actually looked legitimate after that. Does Rhea do the that submission old anymore? Kind of like Cloverleaf where she has them up in the air. I haven't seen her do that in a long time. I was going to say, I haven't seen her at least off the top of my head do it in a while. It doesn't mean she couldn't, though. Because, you know, maybe Zoe passing out from the pain in a submission hold like that might be an interesting route to go. for the Right, she, she never submits. Right, Help. and it, you know, it just really kind of gives her that big rub without winning the match. So I'd like to see him do something like that because Zoe's not a good promo, but she's fantastic in the ring. Yes. And I'd like to see her get some kind of a push and have something done with her. So this would be a good way to do it. Is give or, her a have, or have her take Rhea to the absolute limit after the match. A very uncharacteristic of Rhea. She shakes her hand or something like that and just says, hey, next time. Yeah, I mean, I would if they ever announced time limits anymore this would be a perfect spot for a time limit draw if they ever mentioned like a 30 minute time limit on this match especially if it's only going to be a five or six match card yeah then letting them go broadway and Rhea having to acknowledge that zoe pushed her to her limits that would be something that they could do here and build for zoe going forward how about going way out there and zoe becomes part of judgment day yeah she gets so impressed by her in the match. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, too. I mean, this could also position Zoe for a good run in next year's Women's Rumble, too. Right. Put on a really good show for that. I mean, Rhea went all the way this past year. I mean, you could have Zoe come in at number one. and Hang till like, the final four or something. Yeah. Yeah, but she'll, she'll pull a good Iron Woman performance. Sure. All right. Next, we're going to discuss the Intercontinental title match between Gunther and The Miz. Well, on paper, it seems to be pretty definitive. You know, I was talking with Mac about it the other night, and he goes, you know, Miz is one of those guys that they put in there to believe that he could do it and actually surprise you. And I mean, he's got the legend him. I don't think he's going to win, but, you know, I think that's why they gave him the chance. Is He's one of those guys you could definitely believe could pull this off. And I like that. Such a big spot on a big show like this. And I don't like face Miz. I prefer heel Miz, but that's just me. Gunther wins, and I'm kind of curious to see where the problems with Imperium going forward go, what that's going to lead to, but I don't think that's going to play into the match, but I do find that kind of curious. Miz puts on a good match, gets his ass beat, Gunther continues his reign of terror. What do you think, Drew? I think Miz is going to get the win and get the belt. This is the surprise I was talking about earlier. I think you're going to see Gunther drop the belt now. He's officially put the IC reign far away from the honky-tonk man now. It's pretty much... The IC title is pretty much his house now, and I think you're going to see Gunther go on to do compete for the world title now and stay in that picture. And I think it's going to, I don't think Miz is going to beat him clean as a sheet by any means. There's going to be fuckery galore, and I think you'll see Imperium implode Gunther and uh, the crew, Ludwig and the other feller. I can't think of his name right now. It's escaping me. Ludwig and the other feller. That's how I'm going to refer to him now on the other feller. Miz is going to be making his Ricky Morton comeback, and Ludwig and other feller are going to get involved and screw up, and it's going to end up getting 
Gunther, the proverbial roll up from behind, brother. Obviously, there's bigger things in store for Gunther. And I think now's the time to start pushing it toward WrestleMania for whatever he's going to be involved in. And I think Miz will just be kind of a, a transition. Whereas you got, you know, there's new guys coming in, coming up. Santos is coming in, coming up. LA Knight's hanging around. You got guys who are ready to take these secondary titles and establish them again with a new, not era or generation of workers, but just a, a new set of guys coming in for the that spot on the card. So I think, you know, Randy Orton's not going to be around for a, a whole lot longer. I don't think uh, Seth is getting a little older. Shinsuke is not going to be around forever anymore. I mean, some of the top level dudes are starting to age a little bit. So it's time to start bringing in next level guys. I'm like, they're bringing Drew into the main events. AJ's aging out <laughs> a little bit. I mean, things are changing a little bit. So I think you're going to see an influx of new guys going into the title pictures for the IC belts, the US belts. So that's why I think Gunther's losing. He's moving up to establish new talent in that spot on the card. That's a heck of a point. I guess I didn't even think about that. I, I'm still picking Gunther because I don't want to go against my original instinct. Because, But, I, I mean, you're convincing me that there's definitely a possibility the Mints can win. Your book can make a lot of sense with everything. So, I mean, I could see that whole path going. And at this point, maybe they're giving the Miz like a, because he's not a spring chicken anymore. Maybe this is his last big hurrah. Like, we'll give you a nice belt. But, I mean, he's gotten belts before, so I don't even know if that's anything. But maybe it is his last little splash. But because your point that Gunther's already kind of beat that record and stuff. But, again, do they keep it going? Yeah, and he could just go on to bigger and better things now that he's proved his point with that. That's All that stuff is available. I'm not Johnny Original right now, but I'm still going to go Gunther just because I feel that they're setting up something weird with another big guy down the road, and I don't know who or how or what, but that's just kind of my feeling without really thinking the way you were putting out there. But, yeah, I'm going to go Gunther because I think he's still going to keep going for now. I mean, maybe right before WrestleMania, but I don't know. I'm going to go with it, though, because I, I said what I said. Talking about this and before we talk to Jamie, I would rather see somebody who's not quite established yet take down Gunther. This is fine. This is fine where he's at, and I think it needs to be younger. I, I think it needs to be a younger guy to take down Gunther. I think it's going to be Miz because Miz is going to be working into a feud with Ludwig probably after Gunther ditches those dudes and that they're going to need somebody to work with. And like I said, Miz, I look for Miz to just be kind of a transitional dude with that strap. Yeah. I mean, and of course, this is all like my Sasha Banks stuff. This is all spitballs on the wall. But, but it makes sense. It really does. All right. Jamie, how do you feel? Yes. Anyway, <laughs> I can see it absolutely uh, happening the way uh, Drew is talking about it, with the Miz being the guy to dethrone Gutha. However, I really think the Miz didn't get over last time he was a face, and it didn't last that long. I think the only reason they're turning him face here is to give him some time off. I think they do the injury angle. Gunther hurts him, and we don't see Miz for a while. But when we do see Miz again, he costs Gunther the title. Okay. Mike, how do you feel? Well, I really hadn't considered the possibility of Miz winning. I never thought about that. Drew makes some good points there, though. I think Gunther wins here. Kind of like what Chris said, I think when you're going to have Gunther drops the belt. It's going to be to somebody who needs the rub from beating him more so than the Miz. However, I do want to say, and I think I've said this a couple of times before on some of these preview or recap shows when we talk about the Miz, but you have to give the guy credit for becoming, he's not a flashy worker. He's not an amazing work rate guy. He's reliable. He shows up day in, day out. He puts on a good match. He gets a reaction from the crowd. And 
all from the guy from the real world or whatever that people thought he was getting into this to try and make himself a bigger celebrity. And no, the guy just loves wrestling and wanted to do this. So hats off to him. I'm going to throw out a reference about The Miz here that I'm sure Jamie will get. He's a longtime football fan and has heard a lot of commentary. But The Miz to me is like Craig Ironhead Hayward. If you need a yard, he's going to get you three yards. Can you the original yards, push. He's going to get you three yards. <laughs> yep, I, I, I agree with that. Guys like him in the bus. You need those guys. And that's that's what the Miz has done all these years. Uh, yeah. If, when Great you need analogy. him to get uh, that little thing, he'll give you a little bit more. But if you need him to get that little bit bigger thing, he'll give you that thing that he gave you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. They've kind of figured out, I think, that he's got a certain place. And there's certain things you can do with him. There are limitations. He was out of place in the main event when they had him carrying the big title and main eventing WrestleMania. But he did it. He can always say that he did it, and very few people get that. So good for him there. And it wasn't great, but it wasn't fucking awful either. No, it was terrible. There were definitely worse main events. and right, I don't, but You can't have middle of the road for your main event or your biggest show no, of the year. No. So I'm going to stick with Gunther, which was what I thought before. I mean, it's interesting what you bring up, Drew, about Miz being the guy to do it here. And you could. I mean, you could have Miz win here. And then whoever beats him gets the rub of beating the guy that beat Gunther. And also beating the Miz, who has established himself as like in that gatekeeper to the main event type level guy, he would be your B plus player. If we want to go back to to some of the stuff they, you know, they did back with the authority and Daniel Bryan, the Miz is your B plus player. He's not the guy you stick in the main event. He's not the guy that you build the company around or that you rely on, but he's the steady guy that's going to give you a reliable performance that you can count on. And he's not going to let you down as long as you don't ask him to do too much. He's your Chief J Strongbow. All right. Hell of a lot better promo than Chief J, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I meant. You had to get through yeah. Chief J to get the yeah. get to yeah. Bruno or, and back on in the beginning. Yep. Right, yeah. Show that you can work with a top, you know, better than mid-card guy. I'm WWFs. That's my knows. reference point. Yeah. Whatever you want to make AWA, you had to get through Billy Robinson to get the Bachwinkle or something. Sure. Miz can do anything, and he has shown how versatile he is throughout his entire career. I don't think he's winning, but you guys may have me convinced otherwise just because of his versatility, his longevity, the fact that he can slide into any role. He's that guy that I don't want to say he's the measuring stick because that's not quite right. But if you can't have a good match with the Miz, a good match, I'm not saying a great match, a five star, six star, 15 star, if it was in the Tokyo Dome or whatever. But if you can't have a good match with the Miz, it's probably you, not him. He's yes. got to that level as a work. And He's the Marine part three through seven or whatever it is. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. He might be going off to film another Marine. Yeah, for a couple months. That's right. Well, I just read a scouting report from Carissa Thompson, and she said that she heard through the grapevine that the Miz is going to win the title. So I don't know about that. I'm definitely more open to the idea of Miz winning here and the avenues you could go there because then, yeah, Gunther could be in line to go after Seth or. Maybe Gunther wins the Rumble and faces Seth or Cody or a Triple Threat or something there. Who knows? I mean, admittedly, Miz has a Lloyd Christmas level chance. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Like, you know, so you're saying there's a chance. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a dream scenario, but. True, I love your scenario here. I, yeah. I think it is a, a decent possibility. Yeah, you, you laid out a good argument for it. That's part of why I think Miz got the match to begin with, is because. 
either way, he can make you believe yes or no. Good conversation. Like like Mike was saying, how he's like that gatekeeper dude. And like Jamie had mentioned, he's been in the main event. So he knows how to, what's expected out of a main event match. And he can kind of preview that with these guys and get them ready to work that style. And this could come in down the line. If you're going to have face Miz, face Miz needs to go after Logan Paul for the U.S. title. They need to make that happen. So I think that would be gold and already a ready-built storyline. But again, they can do that later. They, they kind of played that a little bit already, too. But, I mean, there's always well, a little husk left on the on the corn, I guess. <laughs> or something I, I, on the vine or whatever the hell that expression is. As of the day of this recording, it's Captain Spiker's birthday, and she's sitting here with us. Christine, who do you think is going to win? Happy birthday, Christine. Happy birthday, Doc. Birthday. Who, Christine. Who, who do you think is going to win between Gunther and The Miz on Saturday night? Yeah, she I, she's a big Gunther fan because every time he's on a show, I'm like, honey, honey, he's on. So. Did you show her Gunther in the suit last night on Monday Night Raw? No. That, that's one good-looking dude in a suit. And I can say that securely in my manhood. That's right. We just love his entrance. I wish I knew when she was coming home and I didn't have a baby in my arms. I'd play his entrance theme every time she walked in the door. I feel like Jamie just did an ad for Men's Warehouse. (laughs) Oh, hey, we know he's not shopping in the same place as Ric Flair. So most likely he is at the Men's Warehouse. Was Gunther wearing a Sonny Ono lawsuit? Yes. No, guys, that was a really good conversation. And it's much more captivating to me now to watch it now that we've discussed this like that. Bring a new avenue. He was on to something about Miz, bud. I'm not going to give him credit for that. Hush. Even though he'll be here Saturday night watching with me and then it'll list the main event of the night, the men's war games match. I mean, it, it could be the main event, either one, that or the women's match. We have Team Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre, who officially has said he's not part of the Judgment Day. He's just hanging out with him for the course of the match against a, a pretty, pretty stat team of heavyweight champion Seth Rollins, Jey Uso, who's going to yeet somebody into the cage, Sami Zayn, Cody Rhodes, and the returning Randall Kaor. That's a pretty... Stacked uh, face squad right there. That's a pretty heavy stacked team against a very stacked heel team. Because I love the Judgment Day. So I'm thinking this is going to be great. I expect the roof to blow off and Randy finally comes out. Something I noticed from watching the end of Raw the other night. When Cody said Jay was going to be part of the team. Jay's facial reaction. Because last time we saw Randy with the bloodline beating his ass. The thing I love about Jay is Jay is having to pay for every sin he's ever done as a member of the bloodline. Because that's why Drew's joined up with the bloodline is because he didn't like Jay and he obviously wants the belt. I think that's awesome. I think that's a great redemption storyline. You just call it, my name is Jay, and have him try and do the sins of the bloodline, shall we say? Is that my name is Earl reference? Yes. Okay. Making sure I didn't miss something. That's what I thought you meant. See that. So who's is Randy? That's the question. Yeah, see, I, see, I, I just totally came up with that, so I had to think a little more on it. But that show was great. Okay, that show was... I've never seen an episode of it. No. That's right, it doesn't have an ending, unfortunately. Oh, it doesn't? No. Jason Lee skate videos, though. Highly yeah. underrated show, ruined by a writer's strike that killed its momentum. Yeah. yeah. And it never finished up. No. Travis Rains and I have booked a reboot for it that would be fantastic. NBC, CBS... ABC, Peacock, Netflix, somebody hit us up. We've got the idea. We've got the plan. I remember the show was funny as hell. And Jason Lee's great, like yeah, all the yeah, time. That's yeah. where he hits the lottery and he goes back and tries to make right with all the people he screwed yes. over. Yes. I heard him and Ethan Suplee are doing, or Suplee are doing uh, that Kevin Smith cruise. And I heard they're doing a My Name is Earl routine together with it. Oh, wow. 
That'd be pretty fun. So, so wait, if Gordon Soli was live, would Ethan Suple be his favorite actor? <laughs> Could be. Um, was, wasn't he on, um, what's the kid show? Help me. Um, uh, not Teenage Boy Mutant Ninja Me- Turtles. Yes. Not, no, Boy Meets was, World, but he was also on. Yeah, he was um, Vader's son on Boy Meets World. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. What? No, that was a different guy. A different guy? Okay. That was a different guy who played ball. My daughter was young then. I got him confused. I remember him on Boy Meets World very well. And Vader yeah, was his dad. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yes. And a schooner is a sailboat, you dumb fox. Uh, you dumb bastard. <laughs> Why don't a, I ever see the sailboat? A, sail, a schooner is there, a sailboat. There. You know what? <laughs> that guy over there. That's a guy that's kind of funny. It's one of my favorite God, movies. in Kevin Smith movie. Marat is my favorite movie, and that might be my favorite scene where he just loses his mind at the end of it. Yep, it's amazing. Good old Stanley just walking by at the end. Hey, look, a sailboat. <laughs> uh, the old pretzel stink palm's pretty good. Yes. Say, yes. it's like a chocolatey pretzel. I had that bumper sticker on the back of my Focus forever. It was a picture of Jason Lee smiling, and it said, Say, would you like a chocolate-covered pretzel? They're a little warm, but damn, they're exquisite. So, anyways, thank you, Jason Lee. National treasure. I'm going back and forth on this, really thinking about it. I don't think Cody will be involved in the finish. I think Cody will go in first, just like his dad did, and try and last the entire match and just be the one getting beat on everything. Like He's not going to bleed gushers like his dad always did during the match. But I personally feel we'll get the faces going over just because I feel Judgment Day. Just Priest declared himself the leader of the Judgment Day, and I think something's going to happen with him. And I think Priest cashes in the briefcase at the end. I think Priest purposely puts the Judgment Day at peril so he can cash in the briefcase. And then that puts him and Drew at odds because then, you know, Drew wanted the belt and Damien's got the belt. So it kind of comes down to whose leadership is where. And, you know, then I could end with Randy just RKOing the shit out of everybody. I'm just excited to have him back, even if it's for a short time. Well, it was and, Judgment Day that put him out, correct? Storyline-wise? Yeah, it was attack, yeah, it was Attack on the Bloodline. So, like The I Bloodline said, or Judgment Day? No, it was the Bloodline. Oh, the Bloodline put him out, okay. Yeah, this was a while ago. This was when they were feuding with him and Riddle. And then Riddle, because it was supposed to be Orton and Roman at SummerSlam the year that Orton got hurt. And that's when Brock got slid in. And they had that awesome right, okay. standing match. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. But I am going to call the Damian Priest cash in. He'll walk out with the belt somehow, I feel, because this would be a great opportunity for it. But I feel cost Judgment Day the match in doing so beforehand. But he walks out with it. Randy can RKO everybody, but I think we'll get Randy versus Solo WrestleMania. But that's another story for another time. Drew, what do you think, bud? I think... You're correct in that we're going to see a Damian Priest attempted cash-in for the title, but I think you're going to see him fail because Drew will interfere and interrupt that whole thing, which will set off a feud between Damian and Drew for a little bit. And I think once they fight their way to the back and Seth is sitting in the ring, very relieved, he survived war games, he survived a Money in the Bank cash-in, He's going to get up to leave, and the music's going to hit again, and you're going to get CM Punk. Ooh, forgot all about Three him. Scenarios, Samuel's striking again. Hey, look in my eyes, man. What do you see? Red. Not much anything right now, because it's kind of dark. Um, <laughs> I'm a different ahead. kind of cult of something. Something that rhymes <laughs> with cream cheese. A cult of something cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Flavored cream cheese or just regular cream cheese? I don't know. I was thinking something like cheesecake. Ooh. There you oh, go. A fun dip. Seven layers, perhaps. Fantastic. It would kill me. It really would. It'd be so good. I guess you got to think long-term booking here. What about, are they 
still going to try out the rock for Roman Reigns. If they do, you know, for WrestleMania, which would suck for anybody who's hoping for the whole, you know, Cody finally gets his to tell to finish the story or whatever. If they do, I can see that sneaky Randy Orton. RKO and old Cody and some old bad blood reignites itself. And then you have Cody versus Randall at WrestleMania coming up. But I hope they don't do that. But I wouldn't put it past them. But again, as uh, Drew mentioned earlier, it's a new era. Better booking with Triple H. It's, hopefully they wouldn't do something like that. But I think what also could come out is you got CM Punk coming out. And he's doing his thing. And it's you know the cult of personality. All of a sudden, feed me more. And then some big <laughs> And our old buddy Ryback comes out, and then he asks the fans, like, do you want to see me back? And they just boom out of the arena. And he turns on and leaves, and they play the sad Hulk, and he walks away with his head down. That's my prediction for the match. I but no. like your scenario better. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Bill. I needed that. We I needed some good Ryback fantasy booking, and that was perfect. You want to see me packing out the crowd? Like, who are you again? <laughs> I, I, my serious answer, though, is it's probably going to be the faces. But again, it depends on what they're thinking. If they're really going to do the rock thing, which I don't have any inkling that they are or not. I, I think maybe, but I'm sure it's going to be the good guys winning. Like you said, maybe the Damian Priest cash, cash in or something, but. Yeah, I'm going to say the good guys because put my kayfabe hat on and it's kind of like a good time ending for Survivor. But I don't know. You need some drama to go into stuff. So. But I'm sticking with my choice. Sad well, I mean, also keep in mind, they have like, I counted, it's like eight weeks between Survivor Series and the Rumble. There's no PLE between that. So you got to do something to make things interesting right. between now and the Rumble. Who knows? I mean, maybe Ryback will come back and he'll be like, feed me more. And they were like, no. And that's the storyline for eight weeks. <laughs> That actually must be terrible. You know, AEW will sign Ric Flair, but they won't sign Ryback. He's just the most desperate guy in wrestling. And it's funny because wrestling's a pretty desperate business. <laughs> I'm sure AEW, given a choice between signing Virgil and signing Ryback, would sign Virgil before Ryback. Yeah, because at least Virgil's just going to scam you out of money. He's not going to put you in the hospital with an infection or something. <laughs> and then ask for money. I also don't see Virgil on Instagram doing those uh, split screen gimmicks with like teenage girls trying to get more flowers than the girl. Yeah. I scroll through there. And he's like, come on, everybody, feed me more. And he's like, hey, thanks for the roses, man. <laughs> I had to get on there. I was like, you are so pathetic, dude. <laughs> At least that. Uh- Ryback's balls don't hang out. In the like, I, yeah, and the whole time he's like, yeah, thanks, man. He's like, try my Ryback protein powder, man. Apple, apple, dude. All the shit he was talking about. Yeah, and then it's like some girl's like, oh, my God. And then she like blows a bubble, and then like the number just goes. <laughs> it's hilarious, dude. This guy you know is- what? I, I don't think we can go any top that. You might as well just go through the plugs at the end of the show now. <laughs> <laughs> The faces should win this one clean. The pay-per-views in which Roman doesn't appear always end with happy endings. It's only the ones that he appears on that, that don't have the happy endings. So the faces should win this. However, turn it around. If they pull a fast one on us and put this in the beginning of the show, then I think we're headed for a Judgment Day win here somehow. With the women at the end of the show, with the face team winning. 
Okay. Very interesting scenario. I hadn't thought about it until you guys got all talking. Now Now it's hitting me. They may go the other way around. Thus, the Judgment Day keeps her heat, but you're going to develop a little bit of stuff between uh, Drew and Priest, where Drew and Rhea might become a couple. I think Drew and Priest would be a hell of a feud for a title, I'm just saying. And I thought they were going... Last month, when it was Priest and Cody, I thought Cody was going to dare him to put up the briefcase. Yeah. Thus, he could get his WrestleMania match, which I still think could happen. But if the faces win, JD does the duty. I said duty, yes. (laughs) Well done, sir. Well done. He said duty. (laughs) And if the faces go down, I think Sammy's the one that that does the honors in this one. But I... I really think the faces just win this one outright. So to get Jay to trust him, here's a parallel because I just watched the match again today. Does Jay do the Nikita Koloff in 92 thing? Somebody comes swinging at him and Jay pushes him out of the way. Jay will push Randall out of the way or something like that. And somebody will hit him instead and be like, okay, you know, Jay's okay by us type deal. Can we see that kind of moment too? Like the Sami Zayn moment last year. I was going to say, didn't they do that and have Sami prove himself last year? Yeah, I, I don't remember too much about last year's match, but... No, well, that was the angle leading up, that it, he took the... Yeah. Took the bullet for uh, for Roman on more than one occasion. He took the Claymore, the bro kick or something for, right. for somebody. I think he stepped in front of something and saved Jay in the war games last year because Jay was still doubting him. And so Sammy took a bullet right. for him. You're right. That's when Jay got all on board the Sammy train and then led to him not wanting to attack Sammy at Elimination Chamber and all that. And here we are. Yeah, so I'm going a different direction with this than I think everybody. I'm disappointed I didn't have a Ryback appearance booked in this, but <laughs> I I think Orton turns on his team, costs him the match. Whether he attacks Seth, whether he attacks Cody, whether he attacks Jay, there's options. Sammy's the only one that's safe from Orton, in my opinion, and I think it's just, especially with Randy not appearing until Survivor Series, it's the perfect setup for him to come in. Yeah, he gets the big cheers when he when he comes out, when he gets into the match and everything else, and then he turns and costs him the match. And you have, like, Rhea cackling on the outside of the ring maniacally because this was something they set up. They knew that, they, they knew that Cody would go to Orton, so they got to Orton first. Like, that's what I see. Or... Orton, if it's Orton goes after Seth, it's Orton wants the title. Or if he goes after Jay, he wants retribution for what the bloodline did to him. And and it doesn't matter. He doesn't trust Jay. So he's going to get to him first. And I just, Orton as a face is fine. Orton as a heel is way more interesting to me. So he's going to get the big pop when he comes back. That's fine. Get him turned on this show and then let him be a heel. I mean, if you wanted retribution, I mean, I'm pretty sure some of them still work for the company. He didn't really have to go through all that. I don't know that they do, actually. Dijak and Mia Yim, he can't do anything to Mia Yim. That's my thing is Orton. Orton turns. I hope CM Punk shows up. I'm certainly not counting on it. If you got Punk and Sasha Banks re-debuting with the company, show of the year. I just hand Triple H Booker of the Year right now because that would be as great as I think it is for AEW that they signed Will Ospreay because I really, really wanted to see him come to WWE. I think that Punk and Sasha would be more meaningful in the grand scheme of things. So I hope that they show up. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Short of Randy punking out Cody, are the crowd going to boo Randy against anybody at this point? 
point, though, I mean, because he's kind of got that legend status where no matter what he does, people are going to cheer him because oh, he's really right. fucking he'll get heat. Easily. He knows exactly how to do it. He can control the crowd in the palm of his hand. He goes through and he RKO's everybody on that team. He hits somebody first. Like, he takes out Sammy first. Then he takes out whoever. Whoever he's going to feud with coming out of this is who gets hit last. Yeah, whether you know, Cody, whether Cody. A, whether... Well, how about if the faces win, then he takes everybody out. I, I just think he just comes into RKO's all the nine other people. I don't send the fans home happy, even if this is the main event. I don't see the point. And I do like the idea of a Priest cash-in here, especially if something like that goes down. But I do kind of agree with Drew. If Priest goes for a cash-in, McIntyre's going to stop him because he wants that belt, and he's not going to let somebody else take it. He wants to pick Seth's bones clean and take the title. And maybe you get a, a triple threat match between the three of them at the Rumble. I don't know. But I don't think that sending the fans home happy is necessary anymore. After watching the first five Survivor Series and seeing all of the Hogan must pose stuff at so many of them early on, I don't want to see the fans get sent home happy anymore. Like, <laughs> what feels to go over at the end? But I mean, remember, 89 ended with Warrior punking out poor Bobby Heenan. So okay, that's and- still... A face. I don't want that. I don't want the. Yeah. I don't want the fans to go home happy. At this stage of my fandom, I would rather be sent home wowed instead of yeah. happy. Exactly. Exactly. And, and honestly, this match has the potential to go either way, and that's what I really like about it. There are so many ways you can go with it, and there are so many stories just contained within the Judgment Day themselves as to who doesn't like who and who's doing what and everything like that. I don't want the Judgment Day to break up. So I'm definitely not pulling for that. Anything to happen with them. I want them to win because I don't want there to be any more drama and turmoil with them. They've got them at a good place. They're over. They're strong. Don't mess with it yet. It's not time. If you were going to do it, you should have done it before this. And it should have involved Finn with the belt and Priest going after him and playing off that tension. They've got them all on the same page now. Don't break them up just to break them up. Let them stay. Let them run roughshod for a while because you don't have a dominant heel faction in the bloodline anymore tearing through people every week like they did for so long. It's the Judgment Day's turn, so let them do it. Till what, if the, what if Judgment Day turns on Drew after the match and Drew has to call some old friends to battle the Judgment Day? I'd love a three-man band yes. reunion, <laughs> but, but don't think it's happening. Is that where you were going? Yes. Three-man band versus the Judgment Day, baby. Yeah. Got a better shot of Sheamus coming back. Yeah. Love for Sheamus coming oh. back. I love Sheamus okay and you know everything turns out fine and he can come back i still like the scenario of drew and Rhea getting together then drew could be poppy <laughs> i would be fine with that like i yeah. i would be fine with him kind of moving into dom getting kind of pushed aside and drew and Rhea kind of aligning together but still the judgment day staying together as a group i mean i guess if you split Rhea and drew off you could maybe do that but they're just such a solid group now. They've even accepted McDonough into the group officially now. Don't split them up. Let them run roughshod. But like Drew said, I don't want to go home happy. Let me go home surprised. Let it be that, let the end thing be a Sasha Banks showing up because they put the women's match on in the main event. Let it be CM Punk showing up afterwards to challenge Seth at the Rumble. Something like that. Or as Bill said, Ryback. Yeah, well, I mean, th- then the fans would go home sad and underwhelmed, I think. And very confused. That's not quite the wow factor we need. <laughs> and Chicago would shit on that in the heartbeat, man. But I would laugh. I would laugh my ass off. <laughs> it was right back. 
just like I did when I was laying it out. Yeah, I see the finish shaking out. You know, Randy Orton is going to be the last one in for the face team. He's going to hit the ring. He's going to go in, and it's going to be one of those moments where, you know, he has to do the pause and look around because it's going to be kind of desolate land, and he's going to go over to Cody, and bang. He's going to drop him with the, the RKO. He's just going to get up and split. And brown it out of the ring. Yeah, and he's going to be out. He's going to dip. And then Cody's going to get covered by somebody, or they'll get their finish on him after getting RKO'd. And Cody's going to take the pin. They're going to lose. Faces are powdering. Seth is going to be hurt pretty bad throughout the match. And he's going to be the last baby face getting out of there. And as the cage is coming up, Seth is kind of the only baby face left at ringside. Judgment Day is bailing out, and Drew and Priest are kind of like, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. Because <laughs> Drew knows, because they're looking at him like a wounded animal, and they want to eat him. He knows what he's getting ready to do. So Drew will start walking up the ramp. Damien hits him with the briefcase. Lays him out, cashes in, goes for Seth. He's in there giving him the shit skis. Gets ready. I mean, Lloyd Christmas. He gets Lloyd Christmas close. There's a chance. <laughs> and right when he gets that close, here comes Drew. And he screws him up, costs him the roll-up. Seth's going to roll him up. One, two, three. Survives the money in the bank cash-in. And Priest and Drew brawl out. Seth's getting his stuff together. And that's when the music hits. CM Punk comes out. And they're getting it on at either WrestleMania or Royal Rumble. I like it. We also have Cody against Randy at either Rumble or Mania. Yeah. Finish the story or whatever. Still. That the story doesn't end until the following WrestleMania when Cody goes over on Tommy Rich. <laughs> All right. That ended up being a lot more captivating than I thought it was going to be as far as terms go. I think they're going to throw some curveballs, just a matter of where. And just when we think they're done, are they going to feed us more? I guess we got to wait till tomorrow night to find out. And also stay tuned for the day after Thanksgiving and the other ship group for the limited edition T-shirt drop for the other ship holiday. kind limited edition two week run T-shirt. Once they're gone, they're gone. So that's all I'm going to say for now. So tune in for the Black Friday Other Ship T Public Store debut. Not for and, kids. And, yes, and, and definitely uh, not kid friendly. And if you thought the WKRP turkey drop was legendary, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, I think Mac's really going to like this. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I think I'm going to get him one for sure, and he'll wear it proud. He might wear it to a family gathering at Christmas, which will. Yeah, um, I hope not, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe bowling? That'd be fine. <laughs> this is my father we're talking about here. We'll need a picture of Mac in the shirt. My father gives zero fucks, okay? Well aware. Well aware. <laughs> Shout out to Mac. Love you, buddy. Yep. He'll actually be on the show the week after this to talk about Survivor Series. Him and I'll be watching it together tomorrow night. He'll be here. Isn't it fun to watch with- like these shows with people? It's fun again to watch these shows again with, with people that you can enjoy it with. Yeah. It makes him so much fun. It does. It does. I mean, it'll probably be past JJ's bedtime, but JJ likes watching wrestling with Data and then using what he's seen on the show on Data. <laughs> You're about to get the RKO. Yeah. <laughs> the RKO to nowhere. He'll jump out of the hatred at me. Out of nowhere. Do the grandkids watch wrestling with you when they're over, Jamie? Not yet. I haven't introduced yeah. them to it. Okay. We, we will. Sooner oh, or later. I mean, Declan turned one yesterday since this is Friday. Yeah. So. yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. Junior yeah, turned. 24 on the 
Survivor Series Day. Oh, wow. And it's 18 turns 31 on, wow. on Monday. Dang. Happy Is birthday to Katie. Everybody's having birthdays this time of and year. And this past Sunday was Bella's Gotcha Day. That's right. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Happy it's Gotcha a, Day to Bella, that sweet, sweet Busy girl. month in the ward household. Yes. yes. I remember you texted me the day JJ was born last year and said, hey, he's in a pretty good club. And you listed all this stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, he's, you know. Yeah, you guys got it. We have it. It's a good time of year. It is. And uh, we just celebrated Amy Herrick's birthday as well this week. Related happy birthday to Mike's wonderful wife and our wonderful friend Amy. Happy birthday. We got a little bit of everything here with the Survive Series preview show tomorrow night on Peacock. You just heard what we thought was going to be taking place on tomorrow night's Survivor Series Spectacular. But now we're going to kind of take you back a little bit when we all kind of did our fantasy booking as to the traditional Survivor Series style for tomorrow night's show. Here on the other ship, we have decided, because all three of us are old school Survivor Series 4-on-4, 5-on-5 fans. And I'm sure at some point, either Mike and myself have extolled the virtues of the 10-on-10 tag team matches from 87 and 88. I watch them at least once a year, at least, if not more than that. With the current product, we've decided to book the current product as a modern day Survivor Series card. Not to say that they won't, but we decided to put a little bit of fantasy booking spin on it. And the three of us came up with different ideas of how we would have worked it out this year. And, you know, we're all kind of anxious to see how they're going to pull it off this year. We've booked kind of traditional style Survivor Series matches for the most part, I do believe. I do believe, Mike, you said you have one singles match, right? Yes, I do. And I gave it like a featured spotlight kind of thing. Drew, would you like to go first? I'll just run through my whole card, I guess. So basically, I kind of went with like early 90s. They would team guys up and then the captain, they would kind of name the team or whatever. So I kind of just went with that approach. But I did a bunch of four-man teams and then I had two matches for five-man teams. The first, my Charlie Murphy match, my habitual tone setter, is the LWO, the Latino World Order of Rey, Mysterio, Carlito, Santos, Escobar, and we added Cruz del Toro to that mix. And they'll be going up against a group I called the A-Listers, which is The Miz, Logan Paul, Grayson Waller, and Austin Theory. So that was the first match I have booked. And then next up, we've got a reunited Bullet Club with AJ, Gallows, and Anderson, and new member Karrion Cross because he needs something to do and he kind of fits in with that group going up against a group i just i didn't know what the hell to call him so i just called it the gauntlet and the leader of the group is noam dar and then it's jinder mahal sangha and veer mahan all together and then my next match is a group that i've called the new new day and it's uh kofi and xavier woods with trick williams and wesley and then they're going up against the new bloodline of jimmy uso solo sokoa tamatanga and jacob fatu but they got to give Jacob a better name because it's not like, you know I mean? <laughs> it's not like Maga. It's like Jacob. Grr. Yeah, it just doesn't have the same thing. They got to come up with something better for him. But anyway, <laughs> the next match I have is Imperium of Gunther, Kaiser, Vinci, and adding Ilja Dragunov to that mix and going up against the Brawling Brutes of Seamus, Butch, Ridge Holland, and Tyler Bate, adding him to that mix. And then we get to the next match 
match is Hurt Business 2000 of Lashley, the Street Profits, and Carmelo Hayes against the Judgment Day of Priest, Balor, Dominic, and JD. Then my two five-person matches, we have basically SmackDown versus Raw in both scenarios. The SmackDown team for the men, Cena, Baron Corbin from the NXT side for SmackDown, KO and Sammy. And the GM, Nick Aldis. And then for the Raw side, uh, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, Braun Breaker, Bronson Reed, and Adam Pearce. And then for the women, the Raw side, Becky Lynch, Rhea Ripley, Raquel Rodriguez, Liv Morgan, and Shayna Baszler. Against the SmackDown side of Bayley, Eosky, Bianca Belair, Charlotte, and Asuka. And then the main event is an Elimination Chamber match between Cody Seth, Shinsuke, L.A. Knight, Jay Uso, and the returning CM Punk. And the winner gets Roman. And then I almost had Roman versus Brock, but I decided against it. So that was my card. Okay. I love the A-lister's name, but I have a feeling in like the lead-up promo, Carlito's going to call them the D-baggers or something <laughs> like that. That's cool. Because that is one hell of a collection of douchebags. in One group. I mean, that's tremendous. Two parts water, two parts vinegar. Four-man team. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a hell of a show. Yeah, I have no finishes. I have no idea who's winning nothing. I just I just tried to make teams. I wanted to do a tag match, but I wasn't sure who was actually teaming together anymore and stuff. So but I tried to actually make make stuff that kinda made sense. I didn't I didn't like add people yeah. from NXT to teams for no damn reason or whatever, you know. I mean you're not gonna put like Dexter Loomis and the LWO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I don't know if it is Ancestry.com, maybe he's got three percent. Mayan or something in there that could, could put him in the group. Yes, Dexter could have helped build the pyramids. I mean, he could have. And then Dexter's like, but what are we about? We call it the Loomis World Order. No. I like the, the new New Day group. Yes. I like that a lot. Although, I did have to crack up that for Halloween, they went as the new Judgment Day. Dude, and dressed up like the Judgment Day. That was pretty fucking funny. See, it's great because you wonder what they come up with and then what they're told to do. Or if they're told to do something, they just run with it because they are comedic gold like all the time. So, so like they'd be fun to hang out with on the road. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they're a riot and a half. They almost have to be. I like the NXT call-ups you used here and there. I like some of these pairings. I love that you did the name for everything i didn't really think about going that old school route with the team names so i really do dig that but it's definitely got your card definitely has like the i don't know i want to say like 89 90 straight up fun vibe like this is a card that would be perfect to use the soul survivor gimmick yeah there's enough people to actually get four teams at least yeah, yeah you could do some fun stuff that way but yeah, I like it. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I tried to get Pierce and Aldis in there somehow, too. Yeah, I liked that, too. I did. That popped me. Maybe have it come down to them at the end for brand supremacy. Since we no longer have bragging rights, yeah. you know, it's always billed as the one time a year that Raw and SmackDown faced off until they faced off at Survivor Series every year. Yeah. Well, one of the dense logical fallacies. Admittedly, I do have two SmackDown versus Raw matches on mine, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that was something i didn't take into account when i was like making teams and stuff was like who was on what shows and stuff like that for the most part like you know the new day are together on whatever show they're on and you know the lwo are together wherever they're at like the a-listers those dudes are probably all over the fucking place bullet club i don't know (laughs) you you could not get a better group than those four guys the a-listers is tremendous 
Yeah. yeah, that was like earlier when somebody had mentioned it, it was like, just Wayne. <laughs> I yeah. literally, I was like looking at it right at it on my paper here. I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I have. Just add the Logan Paul. Yeah. That's well, Mike, are you ready to do it? And are you going to give us your Survivor Series team listings in your best Vince McMahon impersonation? I wish I could. I wish that I could do that. But I will say that as I get ready to read this card, we have teams of five that strive to survive. But we're going to kick the show off here with my Charlie Murphy match. And that's going to be team damage control of Eosky, Bailey, Albafire, Isla Dawn, and Asuka. Taking on Team Bianca with Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, Zelina Vega, Michin, Mia Yim, and Jade Cargill. We'll follow that one up with the LWO of Carlito, Rey Mysterio, Santos Escobar, Cruz del Toro, and Joaquin Wilde taking on the Hurt Biz 2000, Bobby Lashley, Montez Ford, Angelo Dawkins, Cedric Alexander, and Chris Spiker's favorite wrestler, Omos. Motherfucker. <laughs> Next up, we have our 10 on 10 tag team extravaganza. We have the Brawling Brutes, DIY, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, the Alpha Academy, and the New Day taking on Imperium, Pretty Deadly, A-Town Down Under, the Viking Raiders, and a team that, honest to God, I think a fantastic use of both guys because one of the best periods in the Miz's career was when he was teamed up with the Big Show and they were Show Miz. And I don't know if you guys remember, but Big Show had a nice run in tag teams in that era because he also had Jericho. Jericho was great. And, I mean, Show Miz was fantastic, too. It was a great use of the Miz. So I have here Stro-Miz. <laughs> Stroman and the Miz. Kind of uh, George and Lenny from of Mice and Men kind of pairing here. So that's my tribute to 87-88, which are still my two favorite Survivor Series because of that visual of 10 men on one side and 10 on the other where they're practically meeting at the neutral corners because there's nine guys outside on the apron on each corner there and it was always such a cool visual i just wish they would have kept that i understand that after that their tag team ranks weren't quite as deep they didn't go 10 to 12 deep after that but it was a great time period next up we're gonna have the bloodline of roman reigns solo sokoa jimmy uso tangaloa and tamatonga versus the team co-captained by la knight and john cena along with the bullet club aj styles doc gallows and carl anderson where you have your former bullet club connection with tamatonga and tangaloa the gorillas of destruction and the club here all former bullet club members and teammates i don't know tangaloa who's tangaloa he was tamatonga's partner in new japan yeah i don't know if he's the other son of haku i think he is i couldn't think of the name of the other dude he used to wrestle and he was uh i think he's one of rikishi's sons but he might be yokozuna's son too i ain't sure i want to say god dang man i don't even want to know what it is but he wrestled in mlw for a while and he showed up in wwe for a minute too in legacy manu manu i was thinking start with an r for some reason yeah no manu was the but he's probably like sixty by now <laughs> but yeah no tangaloa is is Tamatonga's brother. I don't know. One of them's adopted. One of them's Haku's biological son. I think the one with the nose is Haku's real kid. Okay, Tangaloa worked in WWE Camacho. He was the muscle for Unico. 
I used to ride around on like beach cruiser bikes and Unico was feuding with Sin Cara and then he became the new Sin Cara when they fired the original guy. But yeah, so I feel like the bloodline needs some fresh blood because I don't think Roman is going to end up by himself by Mania. I think he's keeping the title for a while. For whatever reason, they're fixated on setting these crazy modern day records and he's not too far off of Hogan's first title run. I think it goes until like May or June of next year. He would break that. Backlund is what, like six years on his? Yeah. Backlund and all those, they're not touchable. Bruno's, I mean, I hope to God they weren't serious with the third inning of a nine inning game or whatever, but yeah, I think it's close to getting to the bullpen. We got to be in six, right? His record is one they want to take down of who he is and the fact that they want everything to be a new modern record in this era. All they got to do is say, that's a WWF record. This is a WWE record. Yeah. That'd be easy. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, him not defending the belt for three months straight doesn't exactly set the world on fire, at least to me. No, but there's what's in his contract. Because if he's got a certain amount of dates and they've already worked him, he can be like, oh, I'll see you when it's next time. Yeah. There's something to be said for making the title feel special and not having it defended every month because him just defending the title and beating somebody every month isn't any better than him not defending it, but every three months. Think back when it was the big four pay-per-views you got three four title defenses a year on big shows so i'm okay with it from that standpoint but i think they could have made it come across better by just saying paul Heyman outsmarted adam pierce yeah and got it in roman's contract that he only has to defend the title every 90 days or every 120 days or whatever and there's nothing you can do about it because it's a long-term contract he signed and here's the thing he's lucky that he signed it with ints because i don't think triple h would have went for that i really don't. I don't think that's up to Triple H at all. I think it's the Endeavor people. We're in a whole new realm now. Wrestling's in a whole different ball game now. They don't get Dana White treatment. I mean, who knows? Endeavor could say, hey, let's move on. Let's do something different if this guy's only going to be here part of the time. You know, I don't think they care at all, honestly, because they're making more money now than they've ever made as a company. So they don't give two shits about the booking. That's why Vince has been moved completely away from all of that, only focusing on the business side of things and Triple H has free reign over how to book because until it stops making them money, they're not going to mess with it. You know, but okay, so Roman doesn't lose it at Mania and he goes on and only defends it once or twice before then. Who do you have? Because he's pretty much beating everybody. Whereas Cody being champ opens a whole ton of new doors. And then you can have Cody versus LA Knight because LA Knight is quickly becoming the people's champion. He's starting to become just as over as Cody and Cody gets paranoid. Therefore, you have your SummerSlam showdown or you have Cody versus Jay at SummerSlam. Whereas, okay, this, but I'm sorry, I'm still not over SummerSlam's ending. That's the real thing. If Roman was going to lose it, it should have been to Jay at SummerSlam. Cody beating Roman does nothing for me. How many more questionable endings can you come up with? Well, you bring in new members of the bloodline, you can keep going. If I said, who's going to interfere Saturday? Who are they flying to Saudi Arabia to interfere on Saturday? That's where I debut them, honestly. Well, exactly. It's just going to become this revolving door unless it's a setup and Roman loses at Mania and then they all punk him out. And then Roman comes back as the biggest baby face of all time, which I could also see happening. I've heard or read something that says when it's all said and done Roman's supposed to end up as a baby face. Him losing the title somewhere along the line and then having to come back and redeem himself I guess is on the table or part of the plan but honestly at this point I feel like their 
are probably doing everything in their power to do Rock and Roman at Mania and getting the rub from the Rock and putting over Roman. Well, here's what you do then. You have Cody versus Roman with Dwayne as a special referee because I don't know if Rock could still wrestle. I mean, do you remember how bad he looked and he got hurt in that match with Cena? And this was how many years ago? I don't know. I just think that's what they're doing. And it's not about match quality then. It's about the spectacle of the biggest star of the Attitude Era versus the biggest star since the Attitude Era. Yeah, basically trying to recreate Rock and Hogan. I know. Right. I know. And I mean, you've got the whole quote unquote true tribal chief bloodline thing, even though whether they're actually related or not, it's, you know, pretty questionable. Right. They're not. <laughs> I, I bet if you went way, 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 way back, there's a possibility. But, you know, it is what it is there. But especially with Endeavor being an entertainment company, there's no bigger main event for them than Rock Roman. There just isn't. So we'll see. With Roman, in regards to, like, if they're just going to keep the belt on him forever, like, monthly or however, like, whenever he defends, whatever his schedule is, quarterly, <laughs> whatever it is, I would always have a battle royal leading up. And, like, if the winner gets the shot, next shot at Roman. Roman and then sure. use him to make guys because if he's just going to keep beating guys you might as well have him beat young guys that he can bring up and elevate and then use them in your fucking top of your cards dudes like Dexter Loomis or Jinder Mahal or you know who it wouldn't be a big surprise you know at the end of the battle royal he's in there with Drew and Seth and whoever and you know the guys you expect to be there for the championship shot and somehow he pulls one out and then go to face Roman at Crown Jewel or whatever and then shows well puts on a really good match but then of course Roman wins so but then now Roman's made a guy who can go right in and work with the top guys you know we've had Jinder Mahal leave and return and become world champion we've had Drew McIntyre leave and return and become world champion Heath Slater just was released from Impact Wrestling do we complete the three man band trilogy and have a returning Heath Slater come back and defeat Roman at SummerSlam next year because he's got kids he needs a big win on the big stage <laughs> as much as I loved him and I love three man band because I thought they were fantastic Brock Lesnar beating up Heath and going I don't give a damn about your kids was one of the funniest things Brock has ever done yeah and three man band was fantastic it was goofy as hell but it was fun but it worked and you could tell the three of them were having so much fun just doing it yeah them and Ornswoggle together were freaking yeah. gold <laughs> Yes, three and a half man band. Yes, because yes. then they feud with El Torito and Los Matadores, and mm-hmm. that was great shit. And the WLC match is a guilty pleasure of mine. I have no shame in saying. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because then you and the little wee commentators out there, two little versions of the commentators. And, oh, my goodness. It was good for, for old RD and Harlan to get some work that night on commentary. Good for them. Yes. Next up, we have my one and only singles match. Probably go about 20 minutes. Two guys beating the hell out of each other and quite possibly match of the night. And that's the Intercontinental title match of Gunther defending against the one and only Bronson Reed in one hell of a hard-hitting matchup. Then we'll go with our second women's match of the night. Rhea captaining her team of Chelsea Green, Piper Niven, Valhalla, and Zia Lee to take on the team of Raquel Rodriguez, Katana Chance, Caden Carter, Natalia, and Zoe Stark. And then to cap the night off, we have the Judgment Day team of Damian Priest, Finn Balor, Dominic Mysterio, Jordan Devlin McDonough, and Shinsuke Nakamura taking on the team co-captained by Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes with teammates main event Jay Uso, Ricochet, and Drew McIntyre. This is my main event match right here. 
we come down to Damian Priest against Seth and Drew, where Drew turns on Seth and joins the Judgment Day. Because my daughter happened to point something out when we were watching Raw the other night. They had an interview with Drew McIntyre. Drew was dressed all in black, and the lighting throughout the entire interview segment was a light purple. So very much giving off the old Judgment Day vibes. So I think he's turning somewhere. I don't do it at Crown Jewel. I wait and do it here. I could totally see him taking Priest spot if they decide to bounce Priest because you'd still have the same amount of muscle. So Right, and that could be where you go from there then. You know, Priest yep. being the last one in the ring and not knowing that Drew was going to turn and not knowing he's joining makes him a little bit uneasy. But then you also would have the option of Priest cashing in yes. at that point and taking the title off of Seth. But then you have Priest and Drew tension. But yeah, that would be my main event. So, Mike, was that your entire card? Yes, I believe. I just have the one draft that I wrote like three weeks ago when we first talked about this. That's why KO and Sammy are still a tag team, because this was well before KO was traded to SmackDown. And I didn't take injuries completely into consideration, because I just saw earlier tonight that Braun Strowman was at the Dr. James Andrew Clinic. So that's what makes it fantasy booking. It's what, yeah. whatever we want. But he's coming back soon apparently he got good news oh good so good for Braun Strowman but yeah he'll be back Wednesday I enjoyed him and Ricochet together as a tag team I kind of hope they go back together again this was well before the story came out that they're going to try and turn Miz face to feud yeah. Gunther which completely just fucked up by one match here and I'm a little annoyed by it but, but yeah. we're going to roll with it in my book he's still a heel and he's teamed with Braun Strowman and it's great because you know why Miz should always be a heel damn it or you could have had Omiz. I mean, you could have Miz and Omos together. That would have been freaking hysterical, too. Well, I wanted your favorite wrestler to be back in part of the Hurt Biz, but you like him. So what about your card, Chris? What do you have? Where did you put Omos on your card in the main event? He'll be on the pre-show. On the pre-pre-pre-pre-show. <laughs> oh, so superstars. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. He'll be wrestling Ashanti Adonis. We're going to start my show with the LWL of Carlito, Mysterio, Del Toro, Joaquin, and Santos Escobar versus Lashley, the Street Profits, Logan Paul, and Dominic Mysterio on loan from the Judgment Day just so he can beat his daddy. <laughs> Then we're going to move on to the 8 on 8 because I couldn't come up with really could have pushed it with some of these, but it's a 4 on 4 tag team match from Raw and SmackDown. On the Raw side, you have Imperium, New Day, DIY, and the Creeds because why not? Versus the Brutes, Pretty Deadly, A Town Down Under, and the Good Brothers. Although, if one of them's hurt, you can always just slide AJ Styles in there and add some more star power to that team. I don't want to interrupt too much, but I like that you went Raw versus SmackDown there and mixed your faces and heels on each team so there's going to be dissension and issues very battle bowl 93-esque of you well it's funny you mention that because the next match in my women's match because i didn't throw another one together i could have because they have enough depth we have the raw team of Rhea, becky raquel zoe and Shayna. pretty much the crown jewel match except no nia Jax against eo bailey bianca charlotte and oscar now i have jade cargill sitting there in the front row watching very intently so then move on to Team McIntyre, which is Drew, Nakamura, Gunther, Bronson Reed, and The Miz, because damn it, Miz is still a heel, versus Team Seth, which is Seth, Ricochet, Gunther's old nemesis, pulled up from NXT, NXT champion, Elon Dragunov, Chad Gable, and the returning Randy Orton. 
because I'm like, man, I said, that's a pretty sweet team right there, I must say. I think that one be the barn burn of the night. So then you get to your main event where it's Team Blood Judgment of Roman, Jimmy, Solo, Finn Balor, and Damian Priest versus Team Super Babyface of Cody, Jay, Sami Zayn, John Cena, and LA Knight. Because they've been kind of teasing the Judgment Day bloodline thing. I'm like, you know what? Just do it. So I put them together and I'm like, you know what? This is almost requires like a superpower team of babyfaces against them. I like that. And the five babyfaces are pretty easy. Now, Cena could be replaced with Kevin Owens and then you have the mystique of Jay, Sammy, and KO on the same team and what happens there. Right. That could be like a last minute thing where Cena's got to ditch out because the strike ends or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or he's got to come make daddy's home for or something. I don't know. Pretty proud of that lineup. As I said, I went through a couple in- incarnations of it. There's a one and a half scroll down here, which is kind of more Team Ross versus Team SmackDown oriented, but I feel pretty good about this one. I mean, the, the, the main event I had for the other one would have been the SmackDown team of the Bloodline of Roman, Solo, Jimmy, Cena, and LA Knight as SmackDown team versus Seth, Drew, Nakamura, Gunther, and Miz on the Raw team. Tried to stay away from that because you had the, the super villain team right there. That is a fun idea. And that might be go for with this year's show. I mean, who knows? You basically put together like the DC Legion of Doom. Exactly. I mean, it's like back in the day watching Super Friends and meanwhile at the Legion of Doom. (laughs) Who was the guy on Spider-Man that had like the multiple metal arms? Doc Ock. Doc Ock. uh, Claw things on the end of them. Doc Ock in the Sinister Six. Oddcock. Dr. Otto Octavius. Doc Ock. Okay. Yeah. They said Odd Cock, like O D D Cock. That's the worst James Bond villain ever. <laughs> he throws dildos. Honestly, who does that? <laughs> Bills fans. Now that we had a little taste of our fantasy booking session, we'd like to bring something back that everyone enjoyed. We're going to talk the glory years of the Survivor Series with Aaron Grafton. So joining us for a Survivor Series retrospective for the glory days, arguably, of the show, we're joined by returning guest, our dear friend, Aaron Grafton. Aaron, welcome back. Thank you, my man. How's the band life going? I hear right Aaron's still giving you some shit, but... He's found religion lately. He doesn't want to do certain things, and we've kind of been semi-retired. I think our last one was in August. Ah, uh, so we call him the Righteous Grafton Stone, then. Yeah. Just wait for that big comeback tour when you do Freebird Road. Both sides of me are getting political, and they're fighting, and just got to find a way to meet a happy medium. You could say that at the crossroads of inappropriacies. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start back at the very, very beginning. In 1987, I was two years old. Every also on this call was a little bit older than that. So you guys might be a little more apt to talk about this first one and your first initial memories if you guys saw it firsthand. I mean, because I didn't see it until years later when I was in a video store and it had on the old movie merchants case, it had Hogan versus Andre Survivor Series 87. I'm like, what? And I saw this. And I mean, that opening contest, I mean, I just want to say that opening contest, Randy Savage's face team at that point is pretty hard to top. You have Savage, Robert, Steamboat, Beefcake, and Duggan. Okay, but I have some things to mention about this particular event. Interestingly enough, the only pay-per-view between WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4, the others hadn't come in yet, and I guess they stopped the wrestling classic after one year. Something interesting I found in the opening match is that Steamboat was on Savage's team. So they basically said, hey, you like your family so 
much. I'm going to put you on the team of the guy that almost killed you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that really stretched the bounds of all baby faces are friends. Yeah. Here's a man who tried to murder you six months ago, but now everything's fine and you're going to be his teammate and stand beside him at a critical moment. <laughs> or it's just the fact that everybody hates Honky Tonk Man that much. Who knows? I don't know. This show here was the first real, I'm going to fuck with Jim Crockett promotions as much as possible. That's what the Survivor Series should be remembered for. I've told Michael, tell Michael everything lately, and I like how they did these back then to where the pay-per-view was not the main source of revenue. The house shows were. So on these pay-per-views, that these classic pay-per-views in the Hulkamania era, let's say, you never really got a definitive one-on-one finish because they wanted to save that for the house shows, and somehow they still made it work. Well, people didn't have a, a lot of other entertainment options. No, no, it was a shitty time. <laughs> good TV shows back then, but then a lot of shit too. Yep. So what was the better show? Survivor Series 87 or Starcade 87? Oh, Survivor Series. Wow. For sure. Jesus good Christ. Answer. I can't deal with the shitty production Crockett had. Only one of them had a 10 on 10 tag team match, so Survivor Series 87 wins. Although I do like Starcade 83 because Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper had a Who Looks Better in Blue Trunks contest. <laughs> <laughs> I think Piper won that one. Yes. <laughs> it took Valentine for ever get going <laughs> it, it does it takes about 15 minutes to get going i mean at least in that in the 10 on 10 match from 87 at least he got to stand on the apron for the first 10 15 minutes of the match so i mean by the time he was ready to rock and roll they're like yeah here we go you know i feel like with the opener i think jake should have not been in that match he should have been in the main event and they should have put either patera or morocco in that spot in the opener yeah Jack haynes would have stayed with the company he would have been paired off in the feud with hercules instead of jake i, I kind of cheated and I went on Wikipedia and it's kind of struck me how central Honky Tonk Man was to all the storylines back then because he had something going with Steamboat because he beat him for the belt. He had something going with Jake because he hit him on the head with a guitar. He had something going on Macho because he said he was the greatest intercontinental champion of all time and Macho got pissed at that. He pushed a little bit. Uh, he was kind of aside from Andre, kind of the central hub of the, the heel activities back then. Yeah. Him and DiBiase were pretty much the two heels. Well, DiBiase to come. Was he there yet? Yeah, yeah, he was there. He did a he did the promo on uh, Survivor Series where he showed him, you know, doing all of his shit, where they're kicking the ball away from the kid and making yeah. a woman look suspiciously like Linda McMahon, bark like a dog. <laughs> yeah, what, what was that one about, huh? Yep. See <laughs> small business again. Yeah. And if you notice she's like totally like from the side, she's totally doing the movements. Yeah. He made her bark. She's been in Vince's limo before. Dusty Rhodes commented on her taking his shit later on. <laughs> Ooh, that's some barbecue. <laughs> That's, that's a spicy brisket you got there, Linda McMahon, baby. That's a spicy brisket sauce you got on there. That's the type of brisket that American Dream eat a whole loaf of white bread with, baby. Extra pickles, baby. Hello, is Rick there? <laughs> I love those phone calls. <laughs> They're the best. This is Rick. <laughs> Stockade. The, the best one was when he's calling like the ranches or whatever. And they think he's talking about a stockade. <laughs> he's saying Starcade. Yeah, we got some horse. Yeah, I mean, you need. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> Four Horsemen? That's right. Friday night. <laughs> the Omni. <laughs> you come down here, mister, you're going to be trouble, pal. <laughs> you yellow dog. I reserve the stratosphere for us. Rick Flair. Don't you hang up on me, J.J. Dillons. <laughs> Baby, no! You Jezebel! Yes. Oh, man, we went way off in left field there. Yeah, yeah but it was good. <laughs> I want to talk about the ladies' match here, because we start off with Sherry Martell wearing some kind of a vampire cape. <laughs> Fantastic fashion statement. And then you've got Donna Christianello, who was 45 years old, if you can believe that. She looked older than Mula, who was 65 in this match. I can't get over that. She looked old. I was afraid she was going to break a hip. Match was a showcase for the jumping bomb angel. Yep. They had all those crew there. Good God. So they had a lot of great matches with the uh, Glamour Girls. Yes. Sherry Martell looking like a hot plate of ribs. Yes. And the thing was, the crowd was so dead for that match. It let you hear Sherry screaming like a lunatic from the apron the whole damn time. And it was amazing. I will say the crowd did come around eventually. They did towards the end. Because it was a good match. Yeah. It was interesting to see how they wanted to make Moolah the baby face and Moolah really went out there to get introduced and Howard gave her the big V fabulous Moolah and the place was just like yay. And you can tell Did she's like Did you catch this though? Howard Finkel announces her weight. Yeah, 160. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I don't think she's that beefy. <laughs> well, you know he was put up to that. She was pissed. <laughs> she did a real quick turn and look at him like, I'm going to get you, Howard. Yeah, it's probably a rib, I'm sure. <laughs> she did not find it funny at all. <laughs> no humor in that woman at that point. Not one bit. That had to be no. and then And Velvet McIntyre with the ultra-crimped hair. Yes, and no shoes. Yes, as always. Yeah, And always and falling out of her top. God love her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wendy Richter sitting at home saying, God damn it. <laughs> that could have been me. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, props to Gorilla Monsoon for actually knowing the names of the Jumping Bomb Angels instead of referring to them by the color of their tights yeah, like blue. would do later at the Rumble. Yeah, yeah and Jesse really put them over too. Yeah. And when Jesse Ventura puts a face over, you know it's a good time. Yeah. yeah, when they had the little interlude at the end after the Andre and Hogan main event and they were just talking about the card and rehashing it and stuff and Jesse really put the Jumping Bomb Angels over. Yeah. And he's like, you know, they do all the flying that, you know, the Macho Man does and they do all this and he's like, yeah, I was really impressed and I was acting believe he put him over that good yeah but the ladies match i thought went a little too long but still good match yeah you could have cut I out some of the early parts i think five is too many just in general well i don't know i like the team I, I loved the teams of five strive to survive that had such a good flow to it but like don marie and donna christianello both could have been gone within the first two minutes of the match same thing for velvet mcintyre and maybe even rock and robin they all could have been gone pretty quick. And you could have got down to the Angels, the Glamour Girls, Sherry, and Moolah, and then shaved off five or six minutes off that match. I mean, it was already past Moolah's bedtime. I think they were going to get rid of Moolah and keep Velvet. I think she was supposed to be the next baby face. That could be. So next up was the 10-on-10 tag team match, which that was the big selling point for me as a kid to this and the 88 show. And they were by far the tapes that I rented most often from either the grocery store or the video store, because you see the, the visual of nine guys on either side, almost reaching the neutral corners, everybody on the apron. It was just such a cool look. And then, you know, getting to see different guys pairing off in the ring 
that you hadn't seen those teams wrestle before. And it's like, oh, this could be a preview of something to come or something we'll never get again. No, I was a big fan of the 10 on 10 match. And I think you and I have spoken at length about our love of both of them from 87 and 88. Just a collection of talent. And I love from both of them, the overhead shot of the ring where you had everybody on the ring apron. You had the Rougeau brothers coming out. They yeah, were baby face them. Yes, yes. This match is so crazy for Rougeau's or faces, Demolition, and the Hearts are both heels, where the majority of their runs were opposite for all three of those teams. It's so funny. You got my favorite team, Strike Force. Just how damn good were both of those? Fantastic. Just that damn. I, I like, like the promo that Martel cuts. Our motto is unity and teamwork above all, or whatever. I was like, your motto? You mean your motto? You Canadian, crazy Canadian, you? I actually love the fact that Aaron gravitates back and forth between his love of Strike Force and his love of the Bolsheviks, but that's just me. I'm going to meet Paul Roma this weekend, and I plan to bring an 8 by 10 of Jim Powers just to be a smartass and see if he'll sign it. <laughs> There's something I learned today is Jim Powers' real name is Jim Manley. Why did he change his I name? I would have gone with that. Right. It's a big blood situation. I would have changed it to Manly Jim. <laughs> about Manly Powers? <laughs> or go the Powers Booth Powers Manly. But this match was so much fun. I love the fact that Demolition had finally figured out how to do their fucking face paint by this point, instead of those abominations from early on where it was like 90% red with some yellow and weird shit thrown in. They look like the Simon board. (laughs) Green, red, yellow, brown. Terrible. I hate to say this, but like maybe in every, every category except for look, and that's almost a tie, Demolition was better than... So here's my take on that. Demolition's the better tag team. The Road Warriors are the better act. They're the better gimmick. The only thing that Demolition lacked was the mystique that the Warriors had. They were ten times the workers that Hawk and Animal were once you got inside the ropes. And I would pick a Demolition match ten times out of ten over a Road Warriors LOD match. Because, I mean, by, especially by the time they got to WWF, they were kind of, you know, on the downside yeah. of the. That's what he did. He always got them. He always got everybody when they were on the downside of their prime. At that point, the Warriors had already been one upped in their no selling offensive, you know, <laughs> output yeah. type matches by Hogan and the Warrior and everybody, you know, they'd already been one upped in the WWF by Hogan and Warrior. Joe Lewis was 75 years old around this time. Punched the guy in the chest, if I remember <laughs> right, at a barbershop, came around the corner. <laughs> I, I just want to mention how underrated the Islanders were. Yes, yes. They what happened to Tonga Kid? Tonga uh, Kid seemed like the breakout. I don't know where he went in between this and being the Samoan Savage. He had issues staying booked. He could get booked, but he couldn't stay booked. Body and He ended up going to, to Puerto Rico after C.V. Offie joined the group. C.V. Offie, there's another one that, that was kind of a standout. And I'm like, what, what happened to him? He was brought back to be like the leader of the Islanders. He went and got the fucking the Peter Maivia leg tattoos and like the whole get up, dude. And he just... He left. <laughs> kid, he dealed his brother out of um, Umaga and Rikishi, right? Isn't I think him and Sam are brothers, maybe. He started a movie with Roddy Piper. I mean, how much better can his career get after that? Well, yeah, he was like 19 or 20 headline in the garden, and he got mm-hmm. the big ego, went off and did the movie with Piper after he got fired. <laughs> and then he was just kind of doing outlaw stuff. That was a weird-ass movie. 
Yeah, it's uh, like I said. I'm just. I mean, people always say it's weird and funny, but I mean, there's a lot of people from Tonga whose name is Tom. It's very common. Tama was Umaga and Rikishi's brother. He's Jacob Fatu's dad. Yeah, he's the oldest one, right? That dude is something else. Yeah. Which Samoan is their dad? So, They're one of Hafa and Sika's sisters' kids, right? Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. it was one of the sisters because it was. I have no idea. I from the Hawaii family. I just didn't think they were offer Sika's kids. No, no, they're from a sister and Fatu Senior. Salofa Fatu Senior. There's a bunch of other names before that that I can't pronounce where there's six or seven vowels and two consonants, so I'm not going to try. But I thought he was great as the Samoan Savage when he joined the SST. The whole WCW run was great, but yeah, he kind of disappeared after that. He admitted that he was in the car with Snuka and Nancy the night that she died. Oh, really? Yeah, he admitted that on Dark Side of the Ring. <laughs> and they're like, really? He's like, yeah, I was totally there. I'm like, did you tell the cops that? And he's like, oh, nobody asked. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like in a different time when the tag division wasn't so stacked, the Islanders are a team that could have had a run with the belts. But there was so much quality in the tag division. And for Vince not giving two shits about tag teams, they had an amazing tag division from like 86 through 89. That's what gets me is as soon as a tag team gets so over to a point, he splits them up. I hate to mention 91 again, but you'll hear the reaction the Rockers were getting. I mean, that's another team that deserved to run with the belts, and it just, it didn't, I mean, they had one plan, and the rope broke, but, you know, I mean, the Rougeaus are another team that, in different circumstances, could have had a run with the belts. They were so fucking good, so underrated. All the all the little things, the mannerisms, the facial expressions, everything, they could do it, and they could go. Good heels. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was very cool that after that match, before we got to the main event, they cut to Jesse and Gorilla and had them go over the first three matches, talk about what happened, review the main event coming up. And it showed just how well they worked together on commentary because you didn't have to have a match going on for them to focus on, for them to know what to do and how to play off of each other. They could do it. And in they, added, they added so much to the matches. Yep. Not a motion was wasted that they wouldn't comment on. Yeah. And they were like the only opposite person that either one would ever concede to. <laughs> Like Jesse a few times would begrudge him like, yeah, yeah, all right, I'll give you that. But, you know, and then vice versa, too. He's like, yeah, I'll give you that, Jess, but geez, come on, give the guy a break, you know. Because even Jesse's jokes were related to what was going on in the ring. So it, it added to, it never took away from like his, you know, talking shit about Tito. Tito admitted it really helped him. When Jesse would point out the hypocrisy of some of the faces, one in particular, you know, eventually Gorilla would have to admit, like Drew said, he'd have to be like, well, okay, maybe that time, but not right now. You know, they just played off of each other so well. And I still think there's nothing that Jesse's done, no pay per view show that he called that comes close to the performance Heenan did at 92 Rumble. But Jesse was consistently great on every show. Oh, okay, but Bobby, again, Bobby wasn't. Everything he Kobe. did in the '92 Rumble related to Ric Flair. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the match. It was about his running kick about Ric Flair. He talks shit about everybody though. Like he yeah, has though, he, good he, lines about yeah. everyone. About everybody. Just because it pertained to Flair, it made sense in the flow of the match as guys came in. Like he was it, putting it, Flair over, sure, but yeah, exactly. The first person he put over in that match was Sherry's breasts. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, look at them. 
Lord have mercy. But yeah, Jesse and Gorilla is probably the best pairing. Jesse and Vince was fine. Gorilla and Bobby was fine. We'll get to Gorilla and Piper soon enough. But, My God, I, watching Jesse comment on Sapphire and Rhodes later, golden. But then we get to the main event and the pre-match promos. Hogan was coked out of his fucking mind. And so was Morocco at the very least. I can't well, say for sure about the rest of them, but those two, oh yeah. It was a big night. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sometimes coffee don't do it. Apparently not. But and who had such a hot push like Bam Bam Bigelow? that you fucked up so fucking fast. Like, seriously. I think Bam Bam fucked it up himself was yeah. pretty much what all the stories are, but yeah, he was, he belonged in the main event. I think Orndorff belonged in the main event, but I think Jake needed to be in the main event and Patera definitely didn't belong in there, but I mean, Morocco kind of made sense because, you know, Superstar Graham was supposed to be there. Well, but did he really make sense? Uh, he was a heavyweight contender, and he was in the feud with one man gang and butch right the slicks guys who were basically like the wwf's version of paul jones's army right but was the most out of place in the whole match yeah he just yeah once he'd died in the air and got off the juice he looked awful and old and slow and the arm brace he had no business in the main event None. i would have rather they put coco in the opener and then move jake and steamboat to the main event move morocco and patera out yeah who had the mega yeah, power steamboat from savage's team that just but i'm you look bam bam comes down as the last guy on his team against the three biggest guys in the match takes out bundy takes out one man gang and then quickly loses to andre but the fact that he got through those two guys and still had a minute against Andre. I did the oohs and ahs with the somersaults and stuff getting out yeah. of the way. Like, was this Bundy's last show? Yep, I believe so. Yeah. He got his little computer commercial later and, and he got fired. He got on Married with Children, too, when it went to yeah. his head. And that Richard Pryor, that moving movie, he was in that. Yeah, Vince made him grow his eyebrows back. And then he came back at, what, 94? Yeah. The job out to The Undertaker, yeah. right? Million Dollar Corporation. Yep. He did house show matches into February of 88. Yeah, nothing says new generation like King Kong Bundy. So that yep. was his far favorite. That's his last one. Yep. That was his last big thing. And it, it, it boggles my mind. Like some of these like huge baby faces were like in their early 20s. I think like Bundy was like 24, 25 during all this. Yeah. He was just a kid when he worked with Fritz and world class. He was literally like 20 or 21. He was 32. Bundy was 32. Did you Yeah. Yeah. He was wow. born in 60. But I, the guy I felt the worst for was Butch Reed because he was supposed to be IC champ, right? Or That's was that the a rumor, and they say that he didn't show up. But if you watch the match and they show Honky in the locker room celebrating, there's Butch celebrating with him. Yeah. So he was obviously at the show. But he went from that potential to being in the main event, but out quick and not really a factor. I mean, he was in the WrestleMania 4 tournament for the title, but he was pretty much done at that point. Yeah, I think he was having personal problems also. Yeah. I so saw the, the Doom shoot interview. Basically, his wife said, you're coming home. Oh. <laughs> you, you don't need this job anymore. And then, yeah, he disappeared for a little while, and then he showed back up in the NWA in 89, 88, 89. And who did he work with? He worked with somebody at the Chi-Town Rumble, I want to say. I feel like this was a good kickoff to this pay-per-view. Only four-match card. But even, like we said, even the women's match ended really strong. 
much more than you would expect in that time frame. Yeah, it was basically a way for them to work every feud into one show. Because that's basically yeah. how they paired off the teams for who if were feuding. If we're ranking them for quality, I would put the women at least number two. Behind yeah, the women team. started slow, but they did finish good. Or are you putting the opener top? At last, because it's, it didn't make sense. Okay. So, so you have the tag team match first, then the women, then Hogan's match, and then the opener? Well, then again, Hogan's match should be last because he didn't win. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was one of the better parts of the show myself. And the temper tantrum he threw afterwards. Which he had every right to do. (laughs) Showing that good sportsmanship that a baby face should have. Yep. I thought the opener was the best match. I thought the story they told with, you know, everybody hating Honky and how they were just kind of going to beat him up and pass him around at the end and him bailing out. It made perfect sense. So, you know, that one kind of got over with me. And then the tag match was great. So I had that at two. Then I had the women's match and then the Hogan match. Like I said, the main event was just it. It was kind of contrived, and I don't know there was. It was just fast and gross. It was just a slow, awful match. Yeah, you didn't have. If you could have put in, I just called it fast and slow. But. Steamboat for sure would have helped, like the quality. But it's hard to have a great match with Andre and Bundy and the One Man Gang and Patera and Morocco in 1987. In 1981, that could have been a barn burner of a match. Right, Morocco could still work in spurts at that point, but almost to the point where he was so muscle-bound he would keep any more. It was definitely a drop-off from his WrestleMania, was it two match, where he had the tag team match? No, it was three. Or was that three? Okay, yeah. It was him and Orton, right? Yeah, that was right around the time where it got bad for him. Yeah. Because when he started running around with Graham, he he just got super juiced. Yep. 87 is a great start, and then, you know, 88 is one of my, also one of my favorites. Another 10-team match, and we start off with the Ultimate Warriors team, him, Beefcake Houston, and some Blue Blazer guy, and Jim Brunzel versus Bad News, Valentine, Danny Davis, Ron Bass, and the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, that's supposed to be Morocco in Brunzel's spot, but yeah, Morocco and JYD got fired on the European tour. That was uh, JYD pissed on the bus and punched a bus driver, and Morocco got all fucked up and slapped Bockwinkle around. Yeah, and, 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 <laughs> he then, was the and, late, and then later on the show, JYD was supposed to be part of Robert's team, and then mm-hmm. Brian Blair got Casey was replaced him. Spot. Well, then Brian Blair replaced JYD and then he left and then got replaced by Scott Casey. So, I mean, not that it really would have helped. I don't think Jake's team was winning that one no matter what, especially against a team like Andre Perfect, Rude, and Harley and Bravo. Good Lord. I got to say, I appreciate Bad News Brown sticking to the fact that he's a loner and walking out on his team here and the following year. It's one of the most true character motivations of anybody in any wrestling show ever. I think he, he pulled the Michael Herrick. I'm good. Is him just saying, you know what? I don't like any of you fuckers. I'm leaving. This doesn't matter to me. Cause that's who he was acting like Steve Martin and the jerk. All I need are these Harlem sewer rats and I'm leaving. <laughs> And my 
The black glove. Yeah. I never got the Sam Houston appeal. He was always too scrawny. And the whole cowboy thing just didn't seem believable either. I don't know. When we're talking about wrestling brothers, I think Sam Houston was pushed too much and Lanny Poffo was pushed too little. I'd agree with that. Lanny could be a, Lanny was a great heel. Yeah, and he was acrobatic and shit and athletic. I don't know. He was more than just fucking poems. I don't know why. I think also you could say that Lanny needed to be pushed more seriously. Like he was treated as a joke pretty much his entire run from the leaping Lanny with the poems on the Frisbees to even the genius was viewed as a goofy kind of character. He looked nothing like Randy. He looked nothing. uh, Lanny looked more like their Angelo and then Randy looked more like their mom. So as far as confusion, there's not going to be any. You could just say, just don't say they're brothers in 87. How the fuck are we going to find out if they're brothers or not? Exactly. And if you ask Randy, he doesn't even have a brother. Right, Drew? Yeah, his name is Savage, for God's sakes. It's not Poffo. Fuck. (laughs) Randy, it's me, your brother, Lanny. I have a brother. My brother's a genius. Yeah, he's a genius, my brother is. I told him to leave the can of ravioli on the top stairs of the basement. Yeah, she'll find it. <laughs> yeah, and Danny Davis, that one, that never got over with me as a kid, him as a wrestler. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. That's a different Danny Davis than the one in Ohio Valley, right? Yes. Yeah, diff- different guy. Yeah, as soon as I saw Danny Davis wrestle i was like oh that's mr x <laughs> for that used to always be on primetime wrestling yeah i just the evil wrestling referee thing i just like eh. maybe if i'd have watched it as it happened you know maybe it would have it was a good angle but putting him in the ring was dumb yeah it just didn't work make him an evil manager or something but not in the ring and this was really my only exposure to ron bass was it you know this his short little wwf run here so i never really got him either he was just kind of like uh kind of jobbery he's losing to brutus can't be that great and i'm sure there's much better work is out there i remember seeing him the first time in nwa on tbs when it was first starting he was there him and black bart they were at one time they were the mid-atlantic the florida and something else i don't think it was the nwa tag champs but they had three sets of tag championship belts they were all managed by jj dillon they were like dusty's first heels (laughs) i see i probably would have bought that and enjoyed that but here i just didn't yeah, and then Bass was also at, he was the Mid-Atlantic champion, the Florida champion, and maybe the Mid-Atlantic TV champ or something. I mean, he had a, he was very involved at the time down there and a good heel too. Yeah, just as a kid, I just, I was always like, uh, there's no chance that this team's winning. When he came to the WWF, I remember being like, oh, cool, but he was a big 300 pound dude, but he wasn't tall enough to work with Hulk, I don't think. Right. <laughs> but a yeah. good mid-level heel, you know. Had the little angle with Beefcake with the spur and all that stuff. So that got him on pay-per-view, man. Then we move on to the 10-on-10 tag team match, which I think the 88 one is better. Just because look at that face team. You have Powers of Pain, the Rockers, the Bulldogs, the Hearts, and the Young Stallions all in one team. Then across, you have Demolition, the Brainbusters, the Bolsheviks, the Rujos, and the Conquistadors. It was yeah. weird seeing Powers of Pain and faces. I mean, yes. How could you cheer for the barbarian? <laughs> well, this was WWF executing a double turn. Everybody yep. always talks about yep. Bret and Austin. This was it's, a double turn, but it, it, the people didn't get behind it like they did the Bret Austin one. 
And check on Fuji. Like, if they would have immediately jumped Demolition, I don't even know if that would have saved it for the crowd there. Because they may have just cheered the powers of pain for attacking the heels that beat up their manager. I don't know. I don't I know. I think these WWF logic was once you attack another bad guy, you're automatically a good guy. And once they attack Fuji, it was that was the turn. How could you boo anybody that made the greatness of Fuji Vice? That gave me herpes. Fuji Vice was fantastic. It's not even so bad it's good, it's just bad. No, that's fun. Fuji General Hospital, that one's a little worse. <laughs> I'm not have to watch that one. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> The face side of this was fantastic. The Conquistadors, I felt like that and the Bolsheviks kind of brought the heel side down. But getting to see Davey and Tully in the ring a couple of times together, that was pretty cool because that's not something you saw anywhere. This was hot on the heels of the uh, Bull Dynamite and Jock fight, also. Right. And this was the Bulldogs last night in the WWE. Also, that's why the Rujos went out early and the Bulldogs went out late. That way, they had plenty of time to separate them. Was the ring just louder back then, or did they mic it better? I think it was mic'd up. It was like shotgun blasts every bump. I love tag match. Yes. Yeah, it was something. You really notice when Dynamite Kids is giving people like snap suplexes and stuff like that. It's like, holy shit. Dynamite sporting the porn stash, too. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things from childhood watching wrestling was watching Bill Eady beat somebody into the ground. There's just a very specific style that man had for beating someone down. And he does it to the barbarian here at one point in this match. He's jumping with each blow that he throws, and the sound just makes it seem like he's literally pulverizing his opponent into the mat. And, I, of course, I hadn't seen any mass superstar stuff at that point. This was all I knew. But, man, he was great. Okay. I think this is the match where the, the Rujos are healed now, don't they? Yes. Okay. Jock starts kipping up and kind of doing little athletic exhibitions to impress his brother. <laughs> he started doing little kip ups to impress Ray, and Ray's clapping for him. And Jacques runs over and just gives him the longest sensual hug. <laughs> 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 Fucking golden. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, the Rougeaus were so good, and. They just had the misfortune of being in the tag division at the same time as Demolition and the Heart Foundation, and for part of their run, the Bulldogs. I mean, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> Every little thing, the call on the timeouts to huddle up and give the hug and the facial expressions they both made. I mean, Jacques Rougeau had charisma out the ass. He did. He really did. He didn't take himself seriously, but <laughs> Jesus Christ, he, he had some moments. <laughs> Former Intercontinental Champion. Right. And he bought into the Mountie gimmick 1,000% and played it to the hill. <laughs> I'm going to check your rectum for a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> 
I am the Mountie. <laughs> that feud with the boss man was just fucking sweet. Yeah. Spending the night in jail. <laughs> that was some good stuff. That was at the garden, right, where they had the prison match, and they took him and threw him in the... They had the yeah. They, they have the holding cell there at, at the garden. They threw him in the cell there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that before or after he lost the belt? That was before because he, uh, he kind of, you know, he was kind of the transition between Hart and Piper, so... Hart could win it back. This was after the Royal Rumble, I think. I think Hart was still the champ at Royal Rumble. No, Piper no, won no, the Royal Rumble. Won the Royal Rumble, so it was right before that. No, that's right. Piper did win it at the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Next, he had the chance to win two belts in one night. Yeah. Right. And that was the night of Bobby Heenan's greatest commentary call ever. Yeah. Thank you, Roddy. Thank you. It's not a skirt. It's a kilt. It's a kilt. Yeah. And then he turned around and whacked him. You skirt-wearing freak. <laughs> yes, it was perfect. That might be my favorite Heenan moment ever. Well, yeah. besides him, I think it's Jim Duggan hysterically. The one that Mike showed me is pretty damn amazing. <laughs> awesome. One of my favorite Heenan moments is not him next year at the Royal Rumble, 93, almost blowing Lex Luger. <laughs> no, no, he was he was down there. He was. I mean, he didn't do it. You know what it. bugged me about that whole Lex Luger thing? Everything. No, 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 not everything. But he was called the Narcissist with a T. And Bobby kept calling him Narcissus. Mm-hmm. He could barely say it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's, keep, let's, let's keep the Greek mythology out of wrestling. Let's do that. I just can't believe somebody sat there and Vince convinced Vince that that was great. That had to just be Vince's idea. Well, everybody knows what a narcissist is, pal. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> stupid. Yeah, especially the 11-year-old you're marketing to. <laughs> yeah, I remember sitting there. I'm like, I'm like the narcissist. I'm like, I remember thinking, like, what the fuck is that? That's what does that mean? Does that mean he like likes to look in mirrors? I don't get it. Does he like do a lot of coke? She got so much coke, he needs like nine mirrors. <laughs> Any of this is possible. And the mirrors I, had pyro on them. I'm the coke assist. Yeah. Coming back to Survivor Series '88 for a minute. Did their graphics guy die before this show? <laughs> like immediately before? Because the <laughs> graphics packages for this was fucking terrible <laughs> it was like superimposed bullshit and like they did the green screen promos all the time but they never stuck out and looked as bad as they did on this show like yep. glowing halos around everyone on every green screen promo and the SummerSlam before looked pretty decent yeah and this was terrible I, I don't know like if the guy died two days before the show and they had to throw what's his name Kerwin whatever Kerwin selfies Kerwin selfies yeah, yeah. Did they throw him into it or Basil DeVito or somebody have to do this on the fly? What the fuck? It was not good. I think that after SummerSlam 88, uh, Billy Graham's commentary warranted somebody being executed. (laughs) They couldn't kill Billy Graham, so they just got the graphic guy. (laughs) I guess. Vince said he counted over 200 brothers during SummerSlam commentary by Billy Graham. Yes. What do you want me to say, brother? <laughs> he had to be in his headset going, shut the fuck up, you dumbass. Same brother, brother. <laughs> Just stop talking. Fuck. Yeah. Somebody okay. touched his mic, goddammit. And I, I'm like, Jesse was in one match. He could have been out there for every match except the main event. He ain't got to chill out in the back. Right. Sorry, brother. I'm like, never book Jesse into anything again that gets Billy Graham in anywhere near a microphone. Fuck. I could see why they would put him on the mic and try it, but 
I mean, he was doing yeah, house, 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 house guard, so they should have had all the evidence they needed. But he's a good color guy, but just not for big pay per view shows. He's good for doing your, you know, LA Sports Arena show or your garden shows or whatever. But yeah, the Spectrum, something like that. He'd have been fine yeah, for that. He should not be on a pay per view at all. <laughs> yeah, but that was where you know the good promo ability leads people to think, oh well, he can talk on a promo. He should be able to hold people's attention for not three hours. It's true. No. Yeah, because there have been some kind of really good promo guys that have just... Yeah. They tried that with Ernie Ladd, too, when Wrestling Challenge started. Ernie Ladd was all right. Ernie yeah. Ladd didn't bother me. No, well, Ernie would always say stuff that <laughs> shouldn't have been said, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a fine oriental athlete right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, hey, listen. Hey, that's can't a, say that, dude. Okay, no, if Ernie Ladd said that, that's clearly a Bill Watts thing because that's what Sorry, brother. Jim Ross said during every damn great mood match ever. Bill yeah. Watts wasn't racist. <laughs> no, not at all. Shit. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> One of my favorite comments from this entire show was Gorilla looking through those terrible blue-tinted glasses of his that apparently gave him sight beyond sight that he could see the ring move two and a half inches when Rude whips Jake into the corner forcefully. Oh, they did that. Yeah, all the time. Those, those glasses are some of the uh, go-tos. They honed his vision to such a level that he could calibrate the ring moving two and a half inches. Specifically. Well, they're, like, they're like the Batman vision in the Arkham games. That you sure. switch them on and they would come on and... and uh, yeah. Start reading vital signs and shit like that. Yeah. Point out what the internal occipital protuberance was. Yeah. He always knew that the ring would be reinforced too for the certain matches. I know for a fact that they have reinforced the ring. Okay. Two individuals. So here's something that bugs me about this. You have Andre, Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, and Harley Race. All Bobby Heenan guys. And then Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin. Why? Why would you not take Aku or the Red Rooster from the next match that are Heenan guys and put in this match so they're all Bobby Heenan guys? You just reminded me of the Frenchie Martin thing. Because <laughs> they panned because the camera off Frenchie Martin for like two seconds. Months. He wasn't doing shit. Just standing months and says, yeah. well, look at this piece of garbage. <laughs> Realistically, you know, Bravo is interchangeable into the main event. Because, I mean, right? you just pair him off with Hillbilly Jim and move Haku yeah. down. It would have made so much more sense to have that be a full Heenan family. Well, actually, I would have moved Bruce down because he had no business being in the fucking main event. No. Well, I mean, they were trying to push him, I guess. And you had the whole, he said he wasn't going to let Heenan down. And it's like, oh, you have no idea, Barry Taylor, how much you're going to let everybody down from this point on because maybe by having Dino and French on the team Andre wasn't the only Frenchman on the team I guess Solidate. but I don't know it seemed like the perfect opportunity to simply just have an all Heenan family team and then there's Dino Bravo doing whatever it is he does in the middle of everything yeah, that's a good that that is the best description of Dino Bravo <laughs> just doing whatever Dino does <laughs> He hops around a little bit, stretches his arms back, beats his chest, and, and then works a not very good match. That's usually how it went. Side suplex and get out of there. Yep. Oh, yeah. I thought the Andre Tito exchange was, was interesting. Not two guys you'd ever expect to really square off in any 
since Tito was the shit, man. It, yeah. He deserved like a, you know, I know we got to run like in 85 when it really didn't matter with the Intercontinental title, but he should have had one in the pay-per-view era, I do believe. Yeah, I mean... You look at how over he is when we get to 90 and he's in that final match. I mean, that. Yeah, I have many things that's to say something about him. About him. But, but yeah, this Scott Casey, that's another one where I was just like, I, I don't get this guy. Yeah, Let's, that was supposed to be JYD, but he got I, fired too. And then Patera again, looking even more out of place than the year before, which I didn't think was possible. He but, also should be on fire to get yeah, him. with his evil Knievel vis a vis Johnny Knoxville <laughs> outfit. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt Hennig in trunks does not look right to me. No, no. And I know he wrestled in trunks in the AWA and probably everywhere before he went to the singlet as Mr. Perfect, but there's never been a look that suited a person more, I don't think, no, than Kurt, Kurt in a, Kurt in a sink. Had the, he's had, had the Larry Bird face. Like, you look at that face, and he said, that's a human that has that face. <laughs> I mean, they're both phenomenal athletes, but still, you got to... But when he had the Goldilocks, it kind of evened it out. I liked him better with the regular mullet and the trunks, actually. The singlet, he had to have the long, stringy hair. He made that hair work for him, though. Yeah. That hair worked hard. Then, of course, the main event, 88, you had the Mega Powers with WWF champion Randy Savage and some other guy. You had Hercules, Coco, and Hillbilly Jim against... The, the Twin Towers, DiBiase, Haku, and Terry Taylor. In the yeah. ultimate case of one of these things on the heel team is now like the other. Yeah, Hillbilly Jim. It's like Coco Beware and the Red Rooster. It's like, wait, what? In the main event? Coco yeah, Beware was the Rey Mysterio of his day. Coco was extremely over. Extremely over. Damn right. When when that bird song started, he started doing the shit. I, I, I'm tempted to get up and do the bird dance right now. <laughs> just thinking about doing it. it. Yeah. No, I'm doing it. Right. I'm a driver, too, I believe, too. Yeah, and oh. Ghostbuster was a cool move. I mean, everything about Coco was cool. They just never pushed it. Yeah, he never got yeah, that push. Coco I mean, doesn't deserve the Hall of Fame. Fuck you. Yes, he does. He deserved it so much that his bird took a shit on the podium. That's how much he deserved it. <laughs> He's saying power driver, dude. If there would have been a cruiserweight division at that time, Coco would have been the champ and would have been so over. Especially because he doesn't look like he would be able to do all the things he does. Right. He's kind of just, you know, kind of just a short, little chubby guy, but goddamn. There's nothing wrong with that, right, Aaron? No, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I can't do the shit Coco did. Not sure he's fucking having a bird. He did have a similar flat top. I think you could do the Ghostbuster. I mean, Coco was over. And he had an incredible drop kick. I would love to see Aaron Grafton drop kicks. And Coco had badass sunglasses too. He just That's had a great. cool look. He had, yeah. he had fucking everything. He, make yep. him world champion. He should have beat Hogan <laughs> WrestleMania. <laughs> What drop kick up the top was great. Yeah. I liked him in the Urkel parachute pants down the road, too. Yeah. Him and Owen were an underrated tag team. They oh, were. I'd say that. Yeah, those outfits, though, my goodness. <laughs> Drew, you told me you didn't own a pair of hammer pants? No. I want to see if y'all remember this or if I'm just fucking making it up. There was like a Saturday Night's main event or something. It was Sergeant Slaughter and Coco Beware. And Sergeant Slaughter does this submission maneuver I saw one time. I never saw again, but he took his knuckle and dug Dug it into Coco's temple until he submitted. That's a badass move. I don't know why they discontinued it after that night. I don't know. I saw that work on the school bus a lot of times. Because uh, it is completely 
it is completely plausible why would you, why you would want to give up. Yeah. Because that shit hurts. Yeah, it looked like it hurt like hell to everybody I saw it happen to. I used to do it to kindergartners when I was in sixth grade and it hurt, hurt them. <laughs> I hate the fact that even though Macho's champ here, Hogan has to come out last. Because Hogan is the shit. And Hogan drew the house. He needs to come out last. He should come out last today if he came out. No, he shouldn't. The world champion should come out last because he's your world champion. Okay, yeah, he is because it's a JBL situation. Paul didn't want to work Tuesdays. That's why. When they were down four to two, Savage gets that quick roll up on DiBiase, and I'm pretty sure that is the moment when Hogan started to obsess about being rolled up from behind because he saw how well Savage pulled that off, and he feared it for the rest of his days. I love this match because a seed was planted in this match. The lust in his eyes. Mm-hmm. He was getting a touch too handsy. Hogan got the, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to stop. Go ahead. <laughs> The main event was pretty great and beginning of the end for Mega Powers. Hogan with the lust in his eyes and you grow up and you're like, holy crap, Hogan really was wrong. Well, Hogan was just trying to please the fans, the Hulkamaniacs, and Elizabeth was, you know, he, he valued her as a partner. He valued her as a part of the Mega Powers. And he was being no more handsy than he was with Macho. You know, he didn't, he, he shook Macho's hand. Does that mean he was lusting after Macho? No, it did not. I mean, if he did, would you have admitted to it? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an interesting man. Stay still, brother. 89, I believe, had the first rundown of the card by Vince McMahon to open the show. Magical, yes. Yes. Anytime Vince did the rundowns of anything for the show opening was incredible. That's the first time we got the actual like team names, right? Yes. Based off your captains. Yeah, because, I mean, you open with the Dream Team and the Enforcers, which was Team Dusty and Team Bossman. Now, I mean, you had four on four this time, which I think made it for a tighter match, and I think you guys actually got more. This one, yeah, this four on four is best. I still prefer so. the teams of five strive to survive. You don't get any better than that. Teams of four try to get out the door. It just doesn't work. Yeah, that's, that's it. It doesn't have, doesn't have the same effect. But. Keep it busy. Four on four is fine. The only thing with some of these was I you got more matches of four guys, so I think that's what they were going for. This one graphic, like the, the four guys on each side of the screen. It's rougher when it's five. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. And as Mike mentioned before, you open in the second year in a row in the opening match. Bad News walks out on his team. Yes, perfectly in, in character. He, he goes in full gear, goes get some ice cream, and goes back to the hotel room. Perfect, perfectly in character. So well done. That, the teams here are, I mean, yeah, the Red Roosters here. So it's not perfect, but Tito Martel feud was phenomenal. Yep. As great as they were as a tag team, they were a hell of a lot of fun to watch feuding with each other. Beefcake being the number two guy just really suited him the best. Okay, we talk about Beefcake, but the dude was fucking over. He was. People were into his shit, heavy duty. He was, but he just wasn't any good. He had a very catchy theme song, and he got to cut somebody's hair when he won the match. I think Terry Taylor might have been able to get that gimmick over. Terry Taylor just pissed off the wrong people. (laughs) (laughs) There was nothing about his WWF run that was good for him. Goddamn, he's talented. And then when he went to WCW, they called him the tailor-made man, which is the absolute goddamn worst name you could ever give somebody. Yeah, How are you going to change that shit? Taylor Made Man. That was his whole name. And Jesse Ventura would repeat his whole name every time. It looks like Taylor Made Man. Just call him goddamn Terry Taylor. Jesse, yeah. Think with 
Austin later, they, they always had to say Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone, just God, you would not say that shit. It was like when they did the York Foundation, they took all these hillbilly wrestlers and put them in suits. Here's Terrence Taylor and here's Richard Morton. And Richard and Morton. Thomas Rich. <laughs> I don't know about no floppy disk, man. I just did I ate Jerry Lawler's hamburgers. And I was surprised that when Thomas Rich put on a suit, the suit didn't catch on fire. <laughs> Why am I on this motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> Smells like Jim Barnett. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm sure he bathed right after. This is a really good opener. I definitely enjoyed this. Of course, Dustin finds a way to go over here and Beefcake survives again. Then you had King's Court, which is Savage, Earthquake, Dino, and Greg. Good Lord. I mean, the fact that Randy Savage on your team makes up for everything and then the four by fours or the technically the two by fours i guess duggan hart ronnie and hercules i guess this is when they first kind of maybe started thinking that brett would be great as a singles wrestler i yeah, think that's why they split first attempt to split him off yeah it did not last and should, his placement here seems really out of whack because you had savage and duggan were feuding right over being king and you had hercules and dino bravo Valentine and Marvin. Brett versus Earthquake? Like, that's not a feud. I think Brett and Dino were actually feuding, and Earthquake was just kind of by proxy because he was Canadian. Seems like they held off on splitting the Heart Foundation up as long as they fucking could. Because Brett started catching fire pretty early on. Yeah, Dino was Brett's first solo opponent. He's the one that broke Brett's sternum. sternum. Well, I'm actually pretty sure Mike wishes Brett would have been set on fire, but that's an old other story. No, I wish he just would have stayed in a tag team because he was fantastic. Or stayed at the IC level because he was perfect there. He just had no business in the main event. I actually didn't know this to looking it up on Wikipedia, but apparently Earthquake was a last-minute replacement for Barry Windham. So you mean to tell me one match would have Randy Savage versus Bret Hart and then Barry Windham versus Bret Hart in a match in 1989? This kind of a theme here with every year you had at least one major replacement in a match for Survivor Series. I mean, it wasn't exactly cursed, you wouldn't say, but something always went wrong here. Sometimes multiple things. Yeah, he left because of the counterfeit scandal. It's not like he failed a drug test in the morning in the show. That's a whole other thing. Just let Uh, Tully Blanchard do his two. Just let him do it. You cannot convince me that that was a random drug test and it wasn't, uh, I'm pissed off that you guys are leaving me to go back to Crockett and reform the horseman. Fuck you. Do you honestly think in 89, Vince gave two shits about what they were, because they wasn't even Crockett anymore. It was WCW at this point. Right. Well, it was still NWA, right? They hadn't switched fully to WCW by that point, had they? Weren't they still running the NWA? Banner. Yeah, they still were. I would assume they had no compete for 90 days, even after they left anyway, so geez, you worried about drug testing totally? I mean, you look at everybody else in the other team and it's like, dude, you want to talk about poster childs for fucking druggies? Yeah, you would have to fire everybody. If you want to test somebody, go test Piper and Snooker on this show. Yeah. <laughs> hey, and not one thing is mentioned about their past either, and I thought I, that was odd. I mean, at least there was years between it, not months, like Savage and Steamboat. Yeah, you but know, I, it's odd, but, but that was like one of the that was yeah. the first major program for the Vince's WWF. 
and not one yeah. mention of it ever. But it was it's like five different. years later. Snooka had been hit in the head enough that he probably wouldn't remember because he's supposed to just be a dumb savage here, right? Maybe he made that work for him later. It's like uh, Ratty Piper leading a special needs bus or something like that. You know what I mean? He's like a counselor. I like, mean, he like, had. Because he had the that Bushwhackers. That would be the worst situation I could ever imagine. Snooka and, yeah, they were all kind of whacked out. And it was it, it was fun, but... And again, you know, more Rougeau stuff, right? Weren't they in, weren't they in the Rick Rude team, the Rougeaus? Or? Yeah, it was Rude perfect in the Rougeaus. Yeah, so I mean, it was a fun match, but it really did. Aaron, I'm glad you said that because one thing that pissed me, I was so excited that he came back, you know. Um, but, but it drove me nuts that he was like, so it, it, yeah, there was like, at least say something about the past of like, we're going to get along yeah. now, but I don't think they ever touched on that I can remember. Yeah. Really, but, you know, it, 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 hey, it's cool to get along. You know, you know, we hate each other, but we're going to get together to fight this Rick Rude bullshit. And then, but no, it's just like, okay. But yeah, it was very much like, very much the special needs team. And I don't mean that to be insulting or even funny. It's just Roddy Piper's mentally ill and he's got a bunch of like developmentally disabled. The dream team. That was <laughs> you remember that movie, Michael Keaton? Yeah, exactly right. I think Christopher Lloyd was he in that too as well. Yeah. I yeah. So I don't know, but it, it's a fun match, but it really did bug me uh, back that let's just go through here and you know, let's back up a bit. Let's talk about the time when they had Hogan and Demolition team up with Jake against DiBiase, the powers of pain and Zeus. Okay. Eight years old Aaron was about the plumbing wasn't into shoot nothing out yet but having Hogan and Jake on the same team was euphoric to me because it was like Batman and Superman you never saw them together but finally this is some of my favorite Jesse commentary during this match after Zeus gets disqualified for beating up the ref and then the powers of pain are both disqualified for jumping on beating on Hawk Jesse's like, what do you mean? And he just goes on like this tirade about how Hogan got lucky because three of the dudes on the other team got disqualified. And this is one to a much lesser degree than what happens later. This whole match was used to promote the no holds barred match that would take place later. That I'm like, quit. We paid for this shit. Stop. Yeah. Focus on what's going on, dick. I understand they were trying to, to make some more money doing the match in the movie. But after SummerSlam, Tiny Lister should not have been in the ring again. Yeah, and after the movie had bombed already, shit. Right. You don't see Ben Affleck doing a Geely match. <laughs> Thankfully, Zeus moved on to bigger and better things, like worrying about his bike. Yeah, he had no place here. Well, it's because he wouldn't train. They trained him, maybe. But yeah, then but again, he, wasn't, he was an actor. He was not in any shape or form inclined yeah. to wrestle. Three of the guys on the other team get disqualified, leaving Hogan to beat up on DBI. And of course, you know, Hogan has to win. Yeah. You had to make Aaron happen. You, you, okay. Hogan wins, and that's a good show. I'm actually pretty sure he beat up on Virgil then, too. So he, he should have. He should have. Then the main event, you had the Ultimate Warriors versus the Heenan family. Wait a minute. I want to talk a little bit more about how great the name The Rude Brood was. That was fantastic. Yeah. And it was a great team. Rude and that was a great Joes. That was a great segment between uh, Rude and Piper leading up to it. Because Rude was just not about pulling punches on that segment. <laughs> well, and they do the opening, and they're talking about what they're thankful for. And Piper says he's thankful he's not Ricky Rude. But he says it so fast. And trying to be so smiley and everything. I actually thought at one time years ago that he said, I'm thankful I'm not Mickey Rooney. And I didn't understand what beef Roddy Piper had to Mickey Rooney because I didn't think we were probably up for the same movie role. But, but maybe that. 
earlier on we were talking about we were talking about Bam Bam Bigelow's uh, hot push, and for like a second I thought you said his hot bush. <laughs> I'm unclear if the curtains match the carpet for Bam Bam. I don't know, Aaron. God damn, yeah. It was like a Hot Wheels car. Mike, I better make the uh, hashtags for the for the episode. But glad I'm not Mickey Rooney or the yeah. Hot Bush. <laughs> <laughs> not Mickey Rooney. That's gonna be the rest of the night. It's on fire. <laughs> oh my god! Now we, now we can go to the main event, Chris. <laughs> they're all thankful they're not Mickey Rooney. <laughs> all right. The main event was the Ultimate Warriors versus the Heenan family. Once you saw that Bobby came out with Andre Haku and Arden as a fourth dude, you knew, even beyond a shadow of a doubt, they didn't stand a chance in hell. And then, especially when barely mobile Andre gets counted out 10 seconds in, because that's what they were doing to him at that point, they were really screwed. Yeah. Although, during the match, Shawn Michaels and Arn Anderson really have a really good exchange. I mean, not really surprising because Rockers and Brainbusters always had a good set of matches. And poor Bobby Heenan having to be beat up on by the Ultimate Warrior. God almighty. Could they not see by then just how one-dimensional that fucker was? He'd be winning the heavyweight title at WrestleMania 6. Yeah. So. I know that. I'm aware. He was huge with kids. Like, they loved the hell out of him. So, I mean, everybody knew, like, by the time he got to the ring, he was all blowed up. He'd, be, <laughs> yeah, he'd run out there like a maniac. He'd come out, and then he he couldn't do anything because he was fucking sucking wind. Now, Savage did get a really good match out of him, I'll say that. Savage is Savage. He's a genius. Yeah, he is. I mean, his brother gets all the credit, I guess, with that name, but... That's he should. All right, Savage would just grab shit off the coffee machine and make a promo out of it. 89 was fine. I don't think it was as good as 87 or 88, though, to be honest with you. No. Especially no, It was a step down, I felt like. Move on, talk about 90 now. This is my show. This was the first show I've ever was ever there for the whole bill before. It's sentimentally my favorite pay-per-view of all time. Please proceed. I mean, well, was it because of the whole Operation Desert Shield thing? or No, that... No, and Vince on commentary. I'll get to that some of that shit later, but I don't know why they just couldn't have Gorilla. But just everything about this show, because I, I was I was like late hooked on the Snake Martell feud. I was literally worried about Jake the whole time if he falls and hits his head or something. But that was just a magical time to be a fan for me. Uh, some guy would debut during the show that we'd be still be talking about all these years later. Buddy Rose? The Gobbledygooker. Eggman. Yes. Boy, yeah. I tell you, I, I, I don't think know, Shane Douglas. but they pulled that off. They could not have pulled that off better than they did. Because that dude was just fucking ghoulish looking. <laughs> the way he moved everything about, he was he, he had that perfect right out of the gate. But that's later on. We got a couple matches for that. I mean, him and Gene Okerlund busting a move together were pretty great. So We, we ain't talking about the same fucker. Okay. Yeah. It opens with the first team in Survivor Series history who I think every member on it is actually dead now of the Ultimate Warrior, the LOD and Texas Tornado. I think they are the first team in Survivor Series history where everybody is no longer with us. Every time I see Kerry, I get sad for what could have been if he had just made better choices. Yeah. Because you talk about who, who could have dethroned Hogan and he could have. If he had been on his P's and Q's a little bit more, he could have done it. And because he owned the crowd every time he walked out, owned them. Say Vince wanted those guys from the very beginning. Yeah. And he, I mean, they were opposite 
the perfect team of Mr. Perfect and all three members of Demolition. <laughs> Don't forget Demolition Pachki. <laughs> and why was Axe's hair so perfect? Why were Axe and Smash so weirdly pale? Axe especially was always kind of like tan but red almost. <laughs> You compare them in this match to the year before, they look sickly. Because they were just there to compliment Crush's man titties. <laughs> Kona 1 and Kona 2. Which were not uh, done in favor of the, the strap, by the way. He looked fine in the gear and the face paint. Like, he looked like he fit in okay, and but then they wrestled, and it, it was not the same. No, they should have just, no. Yeah, he wasn't ready for prime time. Because, oh. like, Axe had gotten, like, food poisoning or something and had to step away for a little bit. But then he came back and said, no, we just want to have this crush guy in anyway. So, you know, fuck off and like it. Well, I think weirdly at that point, Vince was concerned about someone dying on a show. Yeah, and Axe looked, Axe, when he they started, Axe looked 65 years old. He did. Although I still wouldn't have messed with him when I saw him at FanFest. He's no. still a pretty damn big, imposing guy. Yeah. yeah, he's like Arn Anderson. He's always looked older than he is. Yeah, good old. Somebody hopefully told Warrior after the first match, don't do the fucking face paint where you leave half of your face in the middle unpainted. It looks fucking stupid. Paint your whole damn face. Don't do one line with one color all around and then one more and then leave all of this just your face. Yeah, I remember this night because he had these huge flecks of green paint hanging off his eyebrow. It was just not good. Just like, how do you not get blinded by that shit? Although it didn't matter. I also wanted to point out this was the first and only time we had the ultimate survivor match, which they were promoting throughout mm-hmm. the course of the evening. Pretty much well, the reason to have your faces in your heels on opposite sides at the end of the night. And the the only reason they had this was to protect somebody's ego. Yes. Oh, of course. Imagine that. No, it was for I mean, us is why they did it, because then we could see Hogan twice. No, no, it was so Hogan could still end up posing at the very end. Yeah, even though he was no longer he had to put the world champ on the opener because uh, we'll get to stand tall at the end next to Hogan. Yeah, because Warrior wasn't enough. You had to have Daddy come in there and pose with the fans. Can you imagine had Warrior gotten eliminated, it would have been Hogan and Tito standing there together at the end? I would have loved it. I would have loved it so much. (laughs) Or even Tito by himself. That would have been awesome. Tito by himself would have been the best thing ever. I guarantee you it was weird to a lot of people that your world and IC champ were in the opening match of the show. Because that was never a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the best worker in the entire match was the Intercontinental Champion. So, how could a team managed by Bobby Heenan and Mr. Fuji lose? when you have the Ultimate Warrior and Legion Doom on the other side, that's how. Our second match was the dream team of Dusty, Coco Beware, and the Hearts versus the million dollar team of DiBiase, Rhythm and Blues, and The Undertaker. Right, and here we've already got Brett and Nightheart back together. Yes. Okay, and this is why Vince should not have been commentary on his show. He's not subtle at all. It's obvious he's wanting to push Bret Hart. So every time every time he show, he says, Yeah, Bret Hart, yeah, Jim Nightheart, fuck him. <laughs> well, I mean, look who's the last one in the match. It comes down to yeah. Brett and DiBiase in a nice little sequel. But this match, it was two debuts. It was Undertaker and it was Brett as a singles star. Oh, Brett, he was back in the tag team here. Brett was back. Oh, but in the after, tag but after he was the last one there, and it kind of you kind of got it. You kind of got used to seeing him in a singles lot. Okay. Well, I mean, they tried it already and didn't work. This show with Piper on commentary with Gorilla. Mm-mm. Piper was coked up out of his mind. It sounded like. Yeah, he was. It was such a drop off from Jesse the year. Yeah, Piper was good on the show, which is sad because when he was doing it in Georgia, it was fantastic. 
But this is, yeah, this is kind of unhinged and not in a good way, really. I was entertained, but I'm biased. But yeah, it's not good. The funniest thing to me in this match was Undertaker hits the Tombstone pile driver on somebody. Gorilla, out of nowhere, calls it the Tombstone pile driver. Yeah, yeah. Piper <laughs> questions him on it. Piper's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he, what is it? He said, I, I think it's the tombstone. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. He confidently says it two seconds ago, like it's a known move that's been used forever and called that. And then Piper asked him about it. He's like, well, I think it's the, a tombstone. I don't know what else you'd call it. <laughs> yeah, I and think probably, it's a tombstone. You probably call it an inverted pile driver. You probably call it a lot of things. You could, I, I called the move you're supposed to fall to your fucking knees, Owen. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. But as far as debuts go, you don't get much better than Taker here. No. Coming in looking like a monster. No. This, yeah, this he just just child handled Dusty right off the yeah. bat. And I mean, I recognized him as mean Mark Callis as well, an 11 year old. And that was maybe the first time I really recognized somebody jumping from one company to another because I'd only been watching for maybe a year and a half or so at this point. So it was the first big thing where I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That's mean Mark. When's he going to punch somebody in the heart? And then we got the tombstone instead. It worked out, I guess. He made a decent choice. Agree with Punch killed several people. I know well, I'll take somebody with it. Yeah, well, maybe. Dolph Ziggler about did. <laughs> yeah, too bad that one didn't work. And Aaron, Aaron, Aaron made a statement earlier about gray gloves Undertaker being the best. It's true. Because it is. Purple gloves, hell. Yeah. Come out here looking like Grimace. Dead Grimace. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have gotten an Undertaker shake from McDonald's? Though? He looked like an Old West Undertaker, and, and later on he just looked like he was at Prince's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> And plus, he had a normal amount of tattoos in this one. He didn't have the weird amount, too many tattoos for Ginger to ever have, as he had later on. So the disclaimers we're going to have to put on this show. (laughs) It was a good match there. It really was. Although... Yeah, and you notice at, right after Brett gets pinned by DiBiase, he sits up and says, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, there might not be a worse look for somebody than Rhythm and Blues era Greg oh, Valentine God. with a live and the guitar and everything. Oh, my God. So Especially off the great feud he had with Ronnie Garvin. Did you I, could tell how disinterested he was standing there trying to play the guitar and everything. When I think of Delta Blues, I immediately think of Greg Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> They're synonymous. They're like peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this great music and this man that looks like an old lesbian. <laughs> just died here. Like, yeah. He sold the soul at the crossroads. Yeah. You remember when he sang at WrestleMania 6? I think he just rented it out. He didn't sell his soul. Yeah. He's an old character. I love that picture of him, Beefcake, from like 10 years ago. If that ain't the go- if that ain't life goals for any man. He would have been sitting there chilling in their flip tops yeah. and shorts. Yeah. yeah. All greased up. <laughs> Fucking Beefcake sitting there with his nipples pierced. <laughs> Cutting and strutting. <laughs> How far did Honky fall, though? Honky goes from like the center heel for like 87 and 88 to just random tag team guy in this one. Well, it's kind of his gimmick on steroids. 87 was really his peak, and it was just downhill from that point. I mean, once the Warrior crushed him at SummerSlam 88, it was just downhill for him from that point. So, I mean, he kind of ended up where he should have been, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, this is on brand for him, kind of, too. 
Then we had the first Survivor Series match in history that I remember really pissed me off. <laughs> that the Visionaries versus the Vipers of uh, Martell, Warlord, and Power and Glory going 4-0 against Roberts, Snuka, Michaels, and Janetti. Boy, just everybody on that team except for Jake was just completely useless. Just all of them got picked off. Well, I mean, Snuka at this point was a glorified jobber, and the Rockers always deserved better. That wasn't much glory to him these days. Snooker had kind of signed his death warrant in the company when he stole Steve Allen's wife's underwear for WrestleMania 6. Y'all remember that? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good, because that would have been weird if he didn't. I mean, going back to the match, I mean, looking back on when I did the rewatch, at least got the power plaques during the match. But I'm like, I remember just thinking as a kid, it's like, man, it's like, I can't believe those four went over on Jake and the Rockers. And yeah, but it was cool, though, looking back on it now. It's like, this was the perfect team to pick for the heel side to go undefeated. Oh, yeah. Power and, and glory you know, were underrated. underrated. Damn right. Best tag team finisher ever. Yes. And it's not close. Yeah. It's not close. We get to the end here. I am pissed off as hell that it got kicked out of. Never should have <laughs> happened. Never, never should have happened. Never. Not once. Not never. The Visionaries was a cool team name. They looked good as a group and how good was Martel though how fucking good was it because he would like do this he would attack Jake's blind side and then pose with the crowd and just do this completely shady shit and just go (laughs) Martel was aces at everything forever he was looking great I mean that's a guy that should have had an IC title run Mm -hmm. in this range and traded that shit back and forth for five years he had to carry Z-Man for a little bit too just so good. Why is he not in the Hall of Fame? I don't think he cares. Yeah. Okay. Just like with Josh Brugeau, he should be in there too. The Z-Man. Yeah. <laughs> Drew. But yeah, I don't think Joe cares. Like, he'd be the coolest guest at a fan fest to like listen to for a dinner or the cup of coffee kind of thing. Listen to him talk for an hour or two because he was everywhere. But I just don't think he wants anything to do with it anymore. From what I heard, he's selling real estate, doing really good at it, and doesn't really do anything wrestling-wise anymore. You know, if they ever book either Martell or Santana at a fan fest, I will legit cry bitch tears in the middle of the damn room. I will stand up and cry. I will. Yeah. I promise you. So, we want to move on to the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters? Not really, but I guess This it's was the perfect feud for Hogan coming off Warrior. They did this perfectly. Yeah, that is true. Go into Earthquake was a good move because nobody gave a shit about what warrior was doing it was all about what hogan was doing (laughs) well i don't know about that but earthquake was perfect for the hogan formula of great big monster for him to overcome okay so rude is gone by this time but i remember watching superstars leading up to this i remember rude being in the promos for this because he was talking about boss man's mom and i know he was doing that (laughs) i know that that it started so who who did he get replaced by then bravo or barbarian uh haku actually i bravo Bravo was just somebody you throw in there and they clearly must have had the whole plan or or just love the name of the natural disasters to take it from here and carry it over when tugboat turned heel fucking tugboat why would you call a man that and get him an outfit that's in my notes Why would Why you call this fucking giant fucking dude? Because, because, because as it shows, Uncle Fred would do anything for a paycheck. And when I hear 
the notion that if WrestleMania was seven was going to be Hulk Hogan versus Tugboat, I shit my, I had to get my emergency pants because I shit myself in horror that you would put Hulk Hogan against a goddamn Tugboat. Well, I mean, three years later, you'd put Hogan and Beefcake in the main event of Starcade. Uh, that was WCW nonsense. They're beyond. Oh, my. that was Hogan nonsense. Okay, well, you don't give your star control. How about that? Well, maybe you don't bring him in. You should see the ridiculous shit I'd book for myself if I were given that. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, fair. That's fair. There was a really great episode where somebody on this call rebooks 94 WCW does yeah. an infinitely better job. This was a fun little team here for both sides. It was. Even with even with Dino Bravo there. I loved Face Boss Man here year later or yes. two years later. Jesus Lord, yes. Face He's Boss old. Man was yeah. Yeah. They had such a strong baby face lineup back then. You think you got more and then you got Hogan and you got Snake and you got Boss Man. That's a strong-ass babyface roster. And Tito. And Tito, yes. Tito was in place. Tito was everywhere. And Dusty. Not nah, he on his way out. On his way out, and it was obvious in this match that he was on his way out. Well, yeah, he didn't have the polka dots. Yeah. But he, he was, was still yeah, up I there. think he'd already said, I'm going to the house by this time this was all around. I think Boss Man was legitimately like 100 pounds lighter than he was the year before also. He was so. fucking fast and quick. God damn, he was good. Yep. God damn it, boy, I could say. <laughs> and then we get to the Alliance versus the Mercy. Scenarios, which my favorite, my favorite match. Is that about what? Mm-hmm. My favorite match, and I'll tell you why later. Are you high? No, this was my favorite. This was Tito's finest hour. Okay, I'll give you that. I mean, besides the fact that Slaughter comes in and eliminates pretty much everybody who's not Tito in the span of he like did. nine seconds. Yeah. That's fine because Dick Log Volkov should never be a captain of anything. It was a minute and a half. It, it was a minute and a half, and for him to eliminate the Bushwhackers and Volkov. And the, okay, yeah. yeah, Bushwhackers are there to be eliminated. The Bushwhackers. Right. Bushwhackers had that excellent Royal Rumble performance later that later on about two months after it. <laughs> That was golden. That was perfect. But, okay, go ahead with the step-by-step, because I don't know whether I just know the overhead, the main point of it. I mean, there's not really a whole lot to say. I mean... Tito took out Zukov. Good. Butch took out Sato. Then Tito took out Tanaka. Then Slaughter eliminates the rest of the team. Was this Sato or... No, Sato Sato was was a Kyo Sato. It was Kato that was Paul Diamond under the hood a couple of months later. Also got to admire Sarah. Just dedication to the camouflage face paint by yeah. taking it all the way around the back of his neck. Yeah. And that was caked on there. The yeah, and, and Zukov too painting his entire head. Yes. <laughs> because the ski mask just wasn't available. So goofy. <laughs> I tell you what they did do they they did what they needed to do to make Slaughter look like a threat in this one. And and Fuji painted up in camo too. Classic. <laughs> it was it was something. <laughs> the promo leading up to this and everything on the card. Mm-hmm. It was something. It was like, well, we're gonna we're gonna shove Slaughter in here quick and force him over so he can win and then lose real fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then we get to the final, the ultimate survivors match or no, whatever. No, no, we're not done yet because we're gonna talk about finish. Slaughter hit, this is why it's my favorite match. Slaughter hits Tito with the flag. He goes in for the camel clutch. Uh, he's in the camel clutch for a little bit. Referee comes over and taps on Slaughter. Slaughter raises his hands in victory. Everybody, including me, thought he just submitted Tito. Then Howard fucking Finkel, my favorite call he ever made, said, Sergeant Slaughter! Waits a tick. Waits a tick. 
has been disqualified and the crowd fucking explodes and Tito is the fucking man. That's why it's my favorite of the night. Because of Howard Finkel and Tito Santana. That's fair. That's totally fair. Because that was a good moment. Yes, it was. I don't know if it was better than Jacques Rougeau hugging his... It's that, it's that, it's it's the Rougeau was hugging and it's Frenchie Martin and piece of garbage. <laughs> Those are my three highlights on this whole run. <laughs> and then we get and then we get to the first and only ultimate survivor match of Okay, I, I, and I'm not I, I know you are being cynical about this the reason, but why not do this if you can? Well, I think it's a great concept, but the fact that they did it simply so that Hogan could pose at the end I mean, but it was even though he's not the champ where normally that shit up. Do what? He ate that shit up when he did that back then. Sure, but there's also just the fact that your world champion got to go on last for everything, but we changed the rules here because we've got to make sure. Fuck about the warrior. A lot of people did. Okay. They really did. I'm sorry. I, I didn't. Know, I'm not putting it above Hogan to, to want this, but still, it was a nice little thing. Nice little send off for the show. It's a great concept. They should have used going forward. Well, this was the last. Survivor Series, where there were all Survivor Series matches. After this, yeah. they started putting putting shit that didn't belong in Survivor well, Series in there with it. I could get by with one singles match if you wanted to go that route, but it always should have stayed the format that it was. But this match that you do with all your survivors from the original matches, it gives you a chance to build new feuds. Right, and they shouldn't do it just like straight up and down heels and baby faces. They should have some kind of lethal lottery to decide who's on each team. That would be interesting. Because you kind of break the fourth wall when you say it's just heel versus baby face. Well, you had heels and baby faces in every match. It's not like they were intermixed throughout the night. But you could easily take a baby face from match one and a heel from match four, and they face off for the first time in that final match. And then that leads you into a mania program or something. Right. But you don't have it as fucking convoluted as Battle Bowl. You're not going to besmirch the good name of Battle Bowl here, no, I sir. I will besmirch the fuck out because it's dumb. No, it's not. It may not be dumb, but it's dumb to base an entire fucking Starcade around it. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Love it. Okay. This one did have a singles match, but it was a dark match with Shane Douglas. That's why I made the corny joke earlier. Right, but and Buddy Rose. I would have liked to have seen been, that. No one's never been televised, has it? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. I remember they were like at the Royal Rumble like two months later. They were just talking up Shane Douglas up a storm. Yeah. He was going to be the next big thing. Yeah, that didn't quite work out, did no, it? No, it's not. It's not in the But I feel like it really kind of leaned Tito making the final match lend some credence to the idea that he may have been a legit consideration for the world title when Brett ultimately got it and they decided to focus on Europe as an overseas option instead of going to South America and Central America. If Tito had been around, because this was not 15 years later, he would have been, because really, I mean, even over Eddie Guerrero, who would you have for that Hispanic market better than Tito Santana? But Tito Santana had the size that Vince Locke. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't say that one with a straight face, I could you? I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> you tried. You tried hard. I'll give you credit. But it didn't work. <laughs> Did not. <laughs> 
you know, I, I mean, a lot of people over the years have dismissed Tito saying that as, oh, maybe they told him that, but there was no way that they really believed that. I completely yeah. believe that if they were going to tour like Latin America, that they would have him at the helm because he was dependable as hell. He was great. Yes. He sold like a motherfucker. He came back with the fire locker. He was, I'm sorry, I'll be on the church of Tito all day. Uh, I mean, uh, you're not wrong, though. I mean, show me a flaw in his game. Promos, no- maybe. His promo wasn't great. You see him in a submission move, and he sells that like nobody I've ever seen because he's got the hair too bouncing, and he just looks like he's in fucking agony. But he, like you said, he had good size. He could work. So he could have worked with a variety of opponents. Yeah, everybody. From big guys to smaller guys, different styles. He could have mm-hmm. done it. So, yeah, I believe that Tito was held in that kind of regard. Now, he can cut a promo as well. Why they gave him the Matador gimmick the next year is a whole other question. That but was that, yeah. It and wasn't then it was teaching Scott Hall how to be Hispanic. <laughs> like, hey, Scott Hall, we need you to be a Cuban. Hey, Tito, you're Mexican. Yeah. Teach him to be Cuban. Still to this day. Hogan kicking out of the power plex is bullshit. Too good of a move to be wasted like that. It should have been protected. This is gets me on, and I'm sorry, tangent, but the giant kicking out of the perfect plex later on was bullshit. Yeah. Because the fact he got the perfect flex on that big bastard, bridged with holding his girth up, he shouldn't have kicked out of it, but I digress. As extremely impressive feat of strength and athleticism to grab that big some bitch, flip your hips and put him over there and and hold the bridge and everything. I completely And he was no spring chicken at this time either. No, no, he wasn't. Larry Bird face. Yeah. While the gobbledygooker thing didn't work, I want to give credit to Mean Gene for trying his damnedest to get it over because he... <laughs> He put they everything had into to know. It. They had to know that that was not going to work. Well, I think the idea was you're marketing to kids. They'll think it was cool or I, funny. You don't know how being nine years old and them talking about this fucking egg. And this is the first build you've ever experienced for a pay-per-view, start to finish. They talked about this egg like Jesus was going to come out of it. They talked about They built this egg up so big. They really did. I mean, I'm just glad that we didn't get The Undertaker coming out as the egg man. Well, I look at it like this. The egg was stupid, and believe me, it was stupid, but there was a huge surprise. Didn't come out of the egg, but there was a huge surprise. So maybe maybe they won't go to hell. Hopefully y'all enjoy and you come back for a recap show next week with Mac. I want to say thank you again to Jamie for coming on. My pleasure. Anytime you guys want me, just call. We appreciate it. All right, everybody, that wraps up our Black Friday Survivor Series Spectacular. We're so happy you hung out with us through the Survivor Series preview, through the fantasy booking, and then certainly having our good friend Aaron Grafton on to go over the glory days of Survivor Series. We hope you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday. All right, we want to have everybody check out our friend Shoreline Gems on Facebook if you're looking for some unique, handmade, individual one-of-a-kind beach glass jewelry pieces. Check out Shoreline Gems on Facebook. It's super cool stuff. It's totally unique. Check out Shoreline Gems on Facebook. Also, we would like you to check out our friends Luna Worldcast, courtesy of Megafauna Records. And you can check them out, lunaworldcast.com. Join their Patreon. Check out their live streams. See them. They're playing weekly, almost daily. I mean, they're always into something. So definitely check them out on Patreon. And when you become a patron, you save 15% on their merch. And they just released a badass new design today. It's like a Santa Cruz skateboard design inspired. It's very cool. Uh, definitely check them out. Support them. Uh, we want to 
say check out our friends katie and amy with what's the vibe podcast you can check them out wherever you podcast and on youtube which i recommend because they do they have a great production and they're just great together they always have something really cool and interesting to talk about super funny super cool and relevant check them out what's the vibe podcast wherever you podcast or on youtube and we want to give shout outs to the boys and cause chaos uh shard johnson steve burho everybody's big brother love you guys keep getting better take care of yourselves we love you guys we want to give shout outs to our buddy jason d'agostino and the not another sports podcast definitely check them out wherever you podcast and on youtube check those guys out support them check out their facebook page i want to give a little bit of love to our buddy frankie seacrest who is getting better every day hollywood kid keep on hollywood and do your thing we have a store kids we mentioned it a couple times already but it's black friday so we have this storefront which has all kinds of interesting items and shirts and designs by drew samuels including the black friday special which is not for kids but a fantastic shirt design among many others there's so much stuff stickers magnets and they work trust me i know how and there's mud <laughs> and hoodies because it's getting it's colder every day man holy smokes winter time no matter where you're at it's freezing slap that hoodie on over that t-shirt put a magnet on your forehead see if you got a like a metal plate in your head or something Stick <laughs> get that shot just like the other feller also if you guys get a chance please like rate subscribe our show on whatever platform you listen to it with whether it's spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher whatever works i don't care but the more we get out there the more the show gets out in the ether always appreciate your guys support thank you so much and if you guys haven't had enough of my voice for the last hour or so never if you get a chance check out myself when i join ray russell on the regional wrestling podcast under the Wrestlecopia podcast network window. Ryan and I discussed 1981 Georgia every couple weeks. As a matter of fact, we just did a special show where we covered looking back at the bookers for the first six months of Georgia Championship Wrestling. And Ray is a real student of the game. Those that used to listen to John McAdams stick to wrestling podcast back in the day and Sean Goodwin was masterful with the knowledge for such a young man of old school wrestling. Ray puts Sean to shame, just the dedication and the homework the guy does. He found these interviews with Buck Robley that he had done with a radio station, and Buck sheds a lot of light on the uh, Booker situation back then. And so Ray is just masterful. He also does the 1986 UWF podcast with our friend Roman Gomez. He also does his own wrestling grenade. The 1987 project just ended, and he's ready to start in 1988, covering all the WWF TV shows each week. If it aired on television, Ray is covering it, complete with sound bites and everything. Shortly, he's going to have another regional wrestling podcast based on 1985 Memphis wrestling. And I know two of the co-hosts that he has lined up. I can't mention them right now, but both friends of mine. And you guys will love these guys when they come on and they talk 1985 Memphis. And then the big one, On the Wrestling Stoop with Bob Roop. If you haven't listened to this one, it's a must. It's like listening to, I guess, kind of his arch enemy, Ron Fuller show. But Bob remembers a lot. He might be an older gentleman, but... He still remembers a lot of stuff. So if you get a chance, the WrestleCopia Podcast Network with Ray Russell. Check it out. We also want to remind you to check out our friends of the Josephines at thejosephines.net. Get all your tour information, merch, buy an album, buy a CD, buy a shirt, buy a sweatshirt. It's that time of year. You need something warm. Check out our friend 
Hot Rod Rodney Swift and his wife over at It's Mr. and Mrs. Swift 2017 on YouTube. They're doing a music re-reaction series right now, taking songs that they love and have meaning to them, playing them, listening to them, and telling their stories about those songs. So check that out. It's a good time. I also want to make sure and mention Glory Days GrappleCon coming up at the Rosen Center in Orlando, Florida, April 20th. 2024 they've announced a number of guests mad maxine brian adias al perez missy hyatt tickets are on sale you can find those at eventbrite.com you can check the other ship facebook group for information on this you can check captain's corner which you need to check out on facebook nick massey partnering with barry rose on this venture check out the captain's corner on facebook nick has all kinds of virtual signings that he runs with different wrestlers if you have something you can send in to get signed they have pictures and cards and other kinds of merch available that you can bid on to get signed but make sure that you check out the glory days grapple con look on eventbrite look at the tickets they've got i think four different levels of tickets available it's going to be an amazing time they've got a a world-class championship wrestling panel discussion that's going to go on with a lot of these folks the one-man gang i forgot to mention him earlier amazing group still waiting to announce their headliner i've heard a couple of names tossed around and whoever they end up with it's going to be a great pick they're they're working between a couple of great names so you will not want to miss this event check it out book your hotel room at the rosen center and we'll see you in orlando in 2024 join us in our facebook group 283 members strong as of this recording. It's a great community full of people. We discuss the show. We discuss food. We discuss funny things. We discuss a lot of nonsense, which we also talk about on here. But you know what? It's all good. We all contribute. We all get along great. And we're just happy to have everybody there. So if people that you know would fit in, fit the vibe, join in. You know, we try and be as welcoming as possible. So, you know, an extension of the podcast. We appreciate everybody who does post all the time. Shout out to Shane Hartman. Hopefully you haven't had any run-ins at work with a missionary while, while listening to us. You haven't told us anything recently, but so I'm just making sure it's all good. And also a shout out to Tim Graff. You owe us a detailed explanation if you showed that young man Piper versus Valentine at Starcade 83 or not. From all of us to all of you, happy holiday season. Enjoy the Survivor Series and hopefully enjoy the show. Happy, happy Thanksgiving, <laughs> muchachos. Gobble <laughs> to you wobble. I want to sing, sorry, very emotional. I want to sing a Thanksgiving carol. I actually just wrote this. It goes like this. Turkey, 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 turkey,